Amazing podcast for you today. This thing is one of the better ones we've done. Just excited about the guest. This guy, Bill Simmons, is going to join us first. Hard to get, but we got him. And then Danny Cannell, our radio partner. We're going to talk some college ball as well. So loaded, loaded podcast. And because of that, I'm not going to uh, go past two hours and do life advice uh, on this one. But we'll be back. And we have a special guest life advisor, somebody far more qualified to do it than I am. Um, but who knows? Maybe they won't be as incredibly witty. So, you know. Massive task for that guy. All right. The Rosillo Podcast, our presenting sponsors, State Farm. Getting great car and home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate. That's like drafting a player that becomes an all-pro, the real deal. State Farm agents provide personalized service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs like a GM putting together their very own roster. You need a team that supports you, and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agents, the award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more. With a great price and even greater service, State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A-game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And also Pepsi, because this football season will be different. Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how much you watch this season. Uh, my excitement for the football season has really peaked, I would say, right now. Week three into week four is when I'm known to peak. And my friends know that, so now I'm sharing it with you. And I'm excited to just throw back four or five Pepsis in the midst of it all. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day. Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's based for those who watch the game. That's us. Pepsi, made for football watching. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. Okay, a little reverse on this. We're going to have Bill Simmons with us for a good chunk as we recap game one. And let's face it, Miami fans, you were really fired up. You're up 23-10. Butler's four for four. There was an amazing out of timeout where they ran Butler on a cut. I even thought LeBron lost Butler a couple of times. Jay Crowder hits a three. Again, 23-10. And then it was a 45-point turnaround blowout win i don't care what the final score was this was ugly and total domination by the lakers first thoughts go it that hero had that dumb turnover and then all of a sudden it was like almost a tie but you know Dragic goes out of the game it's 41 40 lakers up by one never to be seen again and by the time we see him again it's going to be next year because i think he really screwed up his foot i'm really bummed out i really believed in my miami by you know winning in six pick and by the end of this game, I was like, oh my God, like Dragic isn't coming back. Bam's probably not playing hurt. And, and this is going to be a quick series. It's a bummer. Okay. I'm just going to point out though, that I felt like once, you know, Miami's rolling and they're hitting these corner threes. And I feel like the Lakers were a little lazy on a couple of things that they were doing, but then it was this, this wake up of, oh, wait. Like, what are they supposed to do with Anthony Davis? And Anthony Davis had six points that second half of the first quarter. They end up closing up in the first. And I really felt like even though the score stayed closer for a little bit, because like the Dragic part, yes, it's important, but he can also have games where he kind of floats in. I just felt like there was this moment where L.A. said, we can kind of do whatever we want with Davis here, and they're really not going to have an answer for it. Well, they also were hitting threes at a ridiculous rate for them, like threes that you want them to take. You want Caldwell Pope to shoot threes. You want Rondo to shoot threes. They're just going in. So I was watching it even when they were up like six, eight, because we had watched so much of this Miami turn during the bubble. I'm like, as long as it's like in that six to 10 range, they're fine because they'll come in, they'll, they'll have their little runs. Robinson couldn't make anything. Hero couldn't make anything. Bam, who all playoffs was unbelievable. All of a sudden can't make his little 12 foot shot anymore. And then the game just got away from them. But I disagree with you on Dragic. 
I think him and Bam are, were the two most important guys for them in, in this series. I think you could even see in that first quarter when Dwight was out there, Miami was just torching him with the, with Dragic. Like, cool, you're gonna we're gonna switch you, and Howard's gonna guard Dragic. We're just gonna ruin you every time you do this. And I don't really feel like the Lakers have a matchup for him. Well, now we'll never know because I don't think he's coming back. But him and then Bam, Bam got those two quick touch fouls, which again, not called the Boston series, but in this series, it's like boom, boom. Oh, you're out, two fouls. And, you know, we've never seen him play with foul trouble. He's avoided that this whole playoffs. He got it in this series. That was when the series turned, those two things. Okay, so you actually feel like this game in this series would have been even if those guys stayed in? Because I feel like right away, first two minutes into this, we're seeing this series completely different. Yeah, I agree. Because I thought, I liked how it was going for Miami. The Lakers were making a lot of threes. Davis was going to kill them. It was, I knew that was going to happen. So did you. I'm fine with that. Can they get, can they make open threes? Miami was missing them, but they were getting good shots in the first half and the game kind of slipped away from them. And, you know, I, I don't know if they knew that Dragic was really hurt because what that, it, that play that kept showing where he allegedly hurt his foot, he was in the game for a few more possessions after that. They, yeah. It was 34 30 when they, he allegedly got hurt. He didn't come out until 41 40, but they showed that one shot of him on the sideline. He was really upset. And on Twitter, who knows if it's true, they were saying it might be plantar fasciitis, something like that. But, you know, I thought the totality of, of Miami's eight, nine man rotation was going to be the, the one thing that had, gave them a chance in this series. And if you start removing guys from that, they don't have a chance. The other part of this for the Lakers, um, the three point shooting, I mean, they ended up at just 40 percent. They were on fire for a stretch there. I mean, there's they missed 13 where- in a row. Did you see that? In the second yeah. half. Yeah, I yeah. mean, they stopped playing. You know, anybody that, like, wakes up, and you could already start seeing it happen where it's like, well, they got Kendrick Nunn going a little bit. Like, I don't want to hear about Kendrick Nunn. I don't want to hear about <laughs> any of that stuff. I don't want to hear about garbage a minute times when you're down 30. I don't want to hear how they they may have learned something about themselves at the end. The Lakers just stopped playing, which the Lakers do. They did it against um, Denver. They did it against Houston a bunch. Um, Portland just wasn't even close enough to be overlooked, never mind respected. So when I... I, yeah, I guess I just see this differently because, you know, then they started saying, well, they're not going to go small because we've seen some of those small lineups. Um, wh- there's no big. Well, yeah, right. They still tried it, but like what's not going small? Not having Iguodala guard Anthony Davis? Okay, well, that's out, out the window. They have no other big body besides Bam. And I don't know what the Bam injury is going to be. He's saying he was hurt last week. The report was that he doesn't want to take painkillers because he's afraid of needles. Um, he actually initiated that contact on the shoulder injury there on the drive to Howard, which is the right thing to do. But it wasn't like it was something where, you know, it wasn't, I think he even got the call on it too. But like, there's actually, <laughs> you know, sometimes you just have to see it, Bill, to see how real it is. And as yeah. much as we respect Bam and respect, you know, versions of depth that we can get into Miami, because I know you actually were kind of calling him out a little bit saying, you know, where is, is all this depth? Because none's a no-show. Olenek, by the way, even in garbage time, looked lost. Like, he just looks like a different guy now who doesn't have any confidence. So maybe the depth isn't really there. But what they don't have, which almost anybody has, even the Celtics have, are a couple big bodies and like a Robert Williams and a canner to just go, hey, can you guys combine? Give me 18 minutes and some they fouls. They have that guy. They have Myers Leonard. So... Uh, well, I mean, if, if you just want to throw a big Leonard, body out. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not a huge Myers but it, guy. But, but go it's ahead. not like they don't have the guy on the roster. I thought Olenek looked pretty good for the first part of the garbage time he was out there. And so, look, the way it's supposed to do this in the Boston series, whatever they're doing in game one isn't what they're going to do the whole series. And I think they wanted to see some stuff. I, I don't know if they knew the small lineup was going to work, but I think they wanted to see it. 
Hey, I don't think you totally know what these things until it's out there. And they, they put uh Solomon Hill out there on Davis and Butler was on Davis at one point. Crowder was on Davis a little bit. And it was almost like they, they were just experimenting. And then all of a sudden the Lakers were up like 14. It's like your experiment's not working. This is this small lineup. So my guess is as this series goes along, we're going to see more of Olenek and we're going to see even Myers Leonard. I, I think they're going to gravitate away from the small thing with Davis. By the way, he's killed that all year. And I certainly didn't think it was going to be a great option for Miami this series. I think they're going to ease into a bigger lineup. And by the way, I have no problem with anybody experimenting with stuff. Certainly somebody as good as Spolstra, who's probably as good as any other coach in the league. Uh, we've seen, we've we've learned too many lessons where we've written players off who we think are terrible matchups. And then for some reason, whatever, like 12, 24 minute stretches, we've seen guys just have games where it looked like they were non-playable in game one that are playable in game two. But yeah. I'm I'm not with you on the Myers Leonard part of it, and even though I'm with you that you know there's oh, certain things I don't like Myers Leonard. I'm just okay. saying they they have right. they have a large body who looks like a center right. that they Rank. could try. Like he's their version of Robert Williams, basically. Rank all right, but who would you rather have, Robert Williams or or Myers Leonard? Who would you rather have? Can I mean, I mean I think even I would take Canner over Myers Leonard. Robert Williams or Leonard? Listen, Robert Williams for three straight playoff rounds did not seem to understand that every shot outside the circle was worth three points. <laughs> Never got the hang of that. Like I'm going to go under the screen again. It's like, yeah, when you do that, that guy gets a wide open three. Yeah, Serge makes I don't sense. Know. I don't feel like Leonard. I don't think he's complete trash. Like he was like a six and five last year in 18 minutes or something. He's not like a disaster. Um, yeah. if they, if they just need just any big body just to like bang da bang against Davis for three minutes. Like he's not awful. He's semi awful. No, he's not I, I don't awful. Know. I, I think he's kind of the best part of his game. I thought was when he was younger and he could hit that outside jumper beyond the great. Elbow, you love I, his bench guy stuff though. No, that's my least favorite thing. No, you I would love be it. a bad, I would be like a, it. No, no. I, you know what I realized when I watch these things and I don't think anybody's ever going to have to worry about me being on a team, but I'd be a bad bench guy. I'd be like, well, what? I gotta, I gotta get up again and high five everybody at, at center court. Come this on. was the rap against you in the celebrity basketball game. They felt like you weren't a good enough bench guy. Weren't supportive enough for Kevin Hart. <laughs> no, Kevin and, Hart's stuff to play with. And Luke Wilson's brother. Was it was a Wilson brother, not Luke or Owen, like the third Wilson brother? No, I did try to pay, uh, post up Usain Bolt, and I was like, man, this guy's really strong. He must work out. All right, we've already done way too much. I think we hit our allotment of Myers Leonard on this one. No, but, but can, I, can I make one semi-prediction? Sure. I'm not writing off Olenek in this series. I know you are, but I'm not. I think the Celtics matchup, Spolstra just didn't want him too out many there. wings. Yeah. Well, no, it was more than that. He was the only guy they could put out there that Brad was like, oh, cool, I'll, I can play Cantor. Because he could actually, you know, try to torch Olenek in the low post on one end and then on the other end just kind of stand near the three-point line. And I just think they didn't want them to play. They didn't want that Cantor-Olenek matchup. So he just pulled them from that series. He's a guy who's been successful in playoff games. Like he was the key guy in game seven, bullet Celtics, wizard Celtics. Uh, what did he have? Like 30 points that game. He's not a stiff. No, he's he not can, a stiff. He he's can't create stiff, offense. But... There was a couple of plays when he guarded LeBron today where it was like, it wasn't a disaster. Like he stayed in front of him. What? When they were up 30, yeah. <laughs> these guys didn't care I'm anymore. And credit you... for it. Oh my God. All right. All right. I'm I might... Kelly O. <laughs> this is 10 minutes of being too nice. You just like the heat too much. You like the heat or you don't no, like the Lakers I, I... enough. 
today's t- it's trouble for them. If Dragic is out, I don't think they have a chance. Yeah, I, but you got to stop I saying Dragic. They don't have a chance if Dragic played. Is my point. Like I am looking at this. Right. I almost started going like, you know what? I'm feeling this Miami team a little bit. I'm feeling them. And then as I got closer and closer, I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Like, why would you pick Miami? Why are you going to do that? And then before it, I'm like Lakers and six. Um, I feel confident because look, LeBron didn't even have to go nuclear at all. I mean, he ends up uh, assist shy of a triple double, and he had some amazing moments and flashes, but he didn't even have to go crazy. And I do think, even though sometimes the zone stuff is tough to figure out, like are they in a zone? I mean, it's not that hard to figure out. But when you don't cut and you don't have any movement, and then it's five out, and you're like, are they in a zone or are they just staying manned up and matched up the whole time? But there was a time where LeBron came out for his rest. And Vogel still took him out when they were down 13, I think. We were right around there, double figures, when they're like, all right, LeBron's normal rest to get him out of there. And Pope hit those two threes, and then there were some free throws, and then he got the free throws in the corner. I thought those shots were huge because you could see the Lakers' offense just kind of stop. Like, hey, what yeah. are we doing? LeBron's not out here. Let's, di- let's dissect this a little bit. And then Pope hits those two shots in the corner. So it may not have been a straight-up zone because there wasn't much action instead of swinging the ball around. But I, I guess, like, I just keep thinking – Okay, what would the adjustments be? Yes, Dragic coming back and being healthy, fine. I, I think Bam before. Can I he slow you down healthy. on this? You, yeah, you're but doing, before you're doing ahead. game one, you're doing game one overreaction. I, that wasn't the Miami team we watched in the bubble the first three rounds. Say here, here's here's you're how doing I know. game one underreaction. No, but here's how I know, and I'm going to wave whatever this white thing is that plugs into my computer at you. Here's it looks how like I know. a vape pen. This that was the first playoff game I've seen from them in six weeks where they weren't getting 50-50 balls. They weren't getting any of them. They weren't diving on the floor for loose balls. There was two different plays where the ball was right next to Butler and every other round he was diving on that thing like it was a grenade. And this round he's kind of staring at it. They were sloppy. They 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 never had sloppy turnovers like that other than like a couple short stretches in the Boston series. The things with them were they always won 50-50 balls. They played their asses off and they didn't turn the ball over and they did all of those things in that game. So can Miami play better than that? Fuck yeah. I'm not writing them off yet unless if Dragic is out, then you're relying on Kendrick Nunn, which I just think that that's not the answer. Not no, anybody that players. watched Nunn in the playoffs, and I mean, even in the limited minutes he gets he got against Boston, you were like, oh, that's good. Like, get Did him you out hear there, the part when I love Mike Breen, so I, I hesitate to criticize him in any way, shape, or form, but he was like raving about Kendrick Nunn's rookie season for like a solid minute and at one point called it sensational. And I, he was like, a sensational rookie year? And I'm like, what are you talking about? There was no point in the year when he was sensational. He was really solid for half the year, and then he tailed off like this. And they couldn't play him anymore by the playoffs. He was pretty good, and I think the expectations were so low those first couple of months. He's putting up those kinds of numbers, like 15 a game. And, and he, he had tailed some off. big moments. Yeah, he did tail off. I also think that it was a blowout, and yeah. he needed to fill, and none was hitting all sorts of shots. And that's probably what he did. Um, I, I, I think it was just most- announcer filling. I have the most important question of this podcast for you. Kyle, mark this down. This is a guaranteed ringer video. Breakout. Guaranteed. Break it out. I could see the headline. Rosillo. How well does Anthony Davis have to play to actually win the finals MVP? Does he have to average 38 points a game? Give me the stat line where people would look at and go, God, we can't. We just got we can't not give it to him. This is, he just averaged a 38 and 18 in the, in the finals. We, we can't not give him the finals. I mean, what is, what are the numbers versus LeBron's numbers? How big of a disparity before everyone throws their hands up and says, fuck it. We got to give it to him. 42, 24, 15, three blocks. <laughs> and 
being the head of a peace treaty in the Middle East. That's that's what it would take. Yeah, free Tibet. At one point, Jackson could feel LeBron's Finals MVP slipping away. So he did this whole thing about how important LeBron's been for Davis. And he's like, LeBron Davis has made Anthony or LeBron James has made Anthony Davis a better player. And there's this pause and Van Gundy goes, I don't think that's true. I think, I think Davis's situation has changed. I think he's just as good as he was in New Orleans. And then there was just dead silence, which is by the way, the correct answer. Anthony Davis is fucking awesome. It didn't make him better to play with LeBron James. It made him better than he's on an awesome team. And that made LeBron James better too. It's like, I don't feel like they're like bringing out these new things out of each other. They're both fucking awesome. Yeah, I, I, I don't. Shit. Just I don't, stop with that. No, I, you know, look, if I don't know how much credit we're allowed to give out over our individual lives, but Mark Jackson ran out of credit in like 06. I, there's just no left, there's no credit <laughs> left for him to give anybody. And it's just like this LeBron part of it. This is actually perfect. I don't know if symmetry is the right word. But where all the LeBron stands were holding like the front of a Game of Thrones battle during the last dance, where it's like, hey, folks, this is going to be the roughest time of your lives these next few weeks for this Jordan doc. Uh, right. If LeBron, as I expect, pulls this off and continues to add to this resume, where, you know, a lot like politics, I don't know that there's anybody that changes their mind. Like, have you met anybody that was like, you know what, I was MJ, but man, LeBron won his fourth, 10th finals. I'm going with, I'm going with LeBron. Or, or the reverse. Like, I, I always thought it was LeBron, but after I watched The Last Dance, it's like, it's just, no one ever is changing their mind, but the lead-up to him, if he gets this ring, and with another franchise, and returning the Lakers to glory, it's going to be, you know, it's not that he doesn't get enough credit, it's that it just turns people against what becomes an obsessive storyline. He has been discussed, broken down, talked about, credited, discredited more than any player we've had in the history of the NBA, because there's more ways to do it now. We have the internet. We have all these different things. He's been discussed ad nauseum year after year after year since 2003 and started to make, you know, go deep in the playoffs in 07 and was discussed year after year after year. I have, I have to have had 30 columns of my archives talking about, you know, where he, uh, where he was at whatever point of his career. I think he gets the proper credit. And by the way, he's been incredible in the bubble. If you were going to say bubble playoffs MVP, he's the winner. I just wonder with the finals, with the with what Davis looked like tonight. And the thing with Davis, because people are going to look at his numbers, the defense was unbelievable by him tonight. He was the kind of ground that he was covering, and I actually thought he kind of psyched the heat out a little bit. Did you didn't you get that sense? He looked. There's like a he play. Was like, he looked look, like he was Bill Russell tonight. There was a play. I, I wrote down, and I forget where it was in the in the game log here, but basically, Bam, remember when Bam had that fake handoff cut to the basket from the free throw line, and he got Dwight with it? Yeah. Davis waited for it. Bam went for, like, the fake handoff and then to step towards it, and, and Anthony Davis already read it and was like, nope, I already know. I saw you do it before, and I don't know if it was other advanced scouting. He's like, I already saw you do it before. So Bam like just stopped, turned around. He might have given it to Hero, and then Hero was like one-on-one. I forget. It was one of the white guys, and he was one-on-one, and Davis was like, come on, and the guy went to throw like a floater against him, and he rejected it, and it was beautiful because he he played the two-man action perfectly. He shut off the drive, a fake drive, didn't fall for it, and then made them reset and then blocked the shot, and I just... 
that's what I kept getting back to. And you're right about the whole idea that now Davis is going to... No, it's just that more people are going to watch Davis and see how amazing he is. If you want to knock him like we can knock any one of these players, LeBron included, if you want to get real negative about it, you can do it with any of these guys. But the Davis part about not having the dog in him all the time, a lot of times it's because he's reading the double and making right basketball decisions because he's just that smart. But when you look at some of these numbers, Bill, like when they swept Portland, 35 and 14, 22 and 12 on like amazing shooting, 28 and 11, 47 and 10. That's two years ago. I mean, if you go yeah. through his game log, which again, we've, we've pointed out can be a little misleading at times, but these numbers are insane. Like he doesn't have some of these duds that other guys do. It's just that his teams always sucked. His teams weren't healthy. And now he's playing alongside maybe the best player in the world. And I, you know, I don't think he's necessarily a different guy unless you could say that LeBron at least puts him in better positions than the motley crew of guards that he had to play with, at least when Holiday was healthy and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, he's been putting up these numbers consistently in the playoffs. It's just that now he's on the Lakers and they're not getting bounced in the first round. Well, and he's part of the best two-man duo. I did this on my pod a couple weeks ago trying to figure out Shaq and Kobe is the last one that's been at this level. There's been some great ones over the years. And this one is historic for a bunch of reasons. Most notably the the whole 42 club thing I have where both of those guys are 42 club guys, which just doesn't happen. It's happened only a couple of times in the history of the league. And I think what's, what's going to be memorable about them when we think back years from now, it'd be like, you'll think about this team. You'll think about those two guys, but you also think about series by series was a better matchup for one of the two guys. And that's when it gets really tough because like last round, it was the perfect LeBron matchup and he just ate Denver up and he was incredible. Not that Davis was doing bad, but LeBron, especially in game five, that was one of the best that by the end of that series, that was one of the best series I think I've seen him have in this series feels like it's going to be the Davis series. And I think when you talk about this team, when you compare them against other great teams, if we decide this is a great team, let's say they sweep Miami, um, that's that will be, I think, the calling card. Series by series, one of those two guys could grab it. The 2001 Lakers were like that. Cause like if you go back and you look at when they swept Sacramento and you go back and look at the game logs, it's crazy. Like one game Kobe has 48. The next game, Shaq has like 41 and 25. <laughs> and it was just game to game. You didn't know what you're gonna get. And this is I'm gonna, you know, as Miami tries to claw back. You could be like, oh, we shut down Davis a little bit. And then LeBron scores like 12 straight or LeBron has 15 assists. So they need the other guys in the Lakers to suck. And that didn't happen tonight. When Caldwell Pope is making threes, you're fucked. You need, you need him to miss. You need Rondo to miss. You need Dwight to do dumb shit and get a flagrant. You need the other guys on that team to undermine them. Not You're not, you're not going to take out LeBron and Davis. Now, Pope actually didn't shoot it great, but Danny Green, it always felt like, I just thought that that first quarter one run by Pope was super important. It was. And Danny Green was hitting some threes. I mean, Rondo ended up one of five from three, but I still can't believe he's taking shots. He made the, the first he, one. He made the first one. And, it, and it's funny because he even later on, he took a dribble step back three. I don't think yeah. I've ever seen him do that. I was like, what the hell was that? It was like the hardened step back shuffle with Rondo. They killed him on the boards. They got more free throws, but that's also a product of being bigger and being bigger around the boards. Like, and Davis had some really, really intense moments there. But um, the duo I kind thing, of, I kind of ahead. enjoyed Solomon Hill. Just, just quick interruption. He had an, he brought an intensity to it that I noticed that, and I noticed Crowder had this kind of 
two different ports of the game where he's like, I'm going to try to get in LeBron's head. <laughs> LeBron's yeah. like, cool. I'm the second best player of all time. It's not working. But Crowder was like trying to like stare daggers at him after a hard foul. And LeBron was kind of like, w w what's going on? What are you doing? You're Jay Crowder. No, thanks. Go. I interrupt you in the duos thing. The duo thing. I'm just trying to think of all the pushback that you would get if you were to say the last 20 years, Davis, LeBron, because I'm not telling you you're wrong. Um, Wade Shaq isn't enough because first of all, that team wasn't that good despite winning a title. I would say over the last 20 years, it's there with Dallas is probably two of the worst teams to win a championship. I don't know if you have something else to add to that. I mean, how do you compare the Durant Curry combo to Davis LeBron? So aesthetically really great that they, they just didn't put up numbers consistently like those guys did. I think both of them, like Curry was like a 41.3 rebounds assist. Durant was like a 39. I think the difference was the shooting efficiency was kind of historic with that combo. Remember those two in clay, they're making what 10, 11 threes a game in the playoffs. And all of them were shooting like 40 plus percent and just game after game. It was, they would make 50% of their shots and doing stuff like that. I think the difference LeBron and Davis together, it's more of an old school, 80s, 90s, one guy with the 27, 12, 9, and the other guy with like the 38, 18. It's more like in that Shaq Kobe kind of zone, you know? Um, we, it's what we saw right before the pandemic when we did that podcast and all, and both of us came to the realization the Lakers were going to win the title because they were big and they had that, they had this size thing and the ability to get to the free throw line. Remember, we, we talked all of this out. And then the pandemic happened. And by the end of, by the time they started basketball again, I was like, yeah, they can't, I don't know why, I, why I went off it. I still don't know what happened. I guess Bradley was missing the bubble. Rondo was hurt initially. Maybe well, they played like crap too. when on the restart, I mean, they yeah, were, they, did. they were awful. They didn't make any shots. It looked bad, but I think the key thing was don't hold their flaws against them more than the flaws of these other teams, because you could talk yourself in and out of all of the top teams. But yeah, at the end, before everything got shut down, well, I just, I'll never forget that because that was when we were like, hey, LeBron's going to win the MVP because of the storyline and the We thought he was going to sneak back yeah. in, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, once the restart, probably cost him the MVP, the whole thing. I'm trying to think of other, Peja and Dirk duo, where's that? Top five? <laughs> Peja and Dirk, <laughs> old Peja? No, I, I think when you're talking historic, like Bird and McHale, Pippen and Jordan, Curry, Bar Durant, Barkley, Shaq Mahorn. Kobe. Havlicek and Russell, you know, they're, but, but these two, you're talking about Davis, who I voted second for defensive player of the year. I had Giannis first, I had Davis second. And when you watch him in a game like tonight, you would think he was the best hands down who's better than him. Um, but then, you know, both of them should have been first team all NBA. And I think they were actually, wasn't, wasn't Davis the center? Both of them made it, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what they ended up doing. Right? So that's, that's something that doesn't happen very often. So yeah, I I think this broke really nicely for the Lakers. I if I if I could have picked which Miami Heat players would I want to eliminate from this series if I'm the Lakers, I would have picked Bam and Dragic. So from that end, now do they win anyway? Yeah, they were three to one favorites. They were favorite to win, but I think it helps that those were the two guys that got hurt. Well, of course it helps. I just feel like you're downplaying this, and I know this is going to be shocking to listeners. It just feels a little. Like, oh, well, Dragic went down or whatever. And I just feel like I saw a game where as soon as the Lakers were like, hey, you know what? They're not going to have any answers for Davis. LeBron didn't even have to do a ton. But then you saw certain times, especially they started hunting out some of the hero and Duncan Robinson switches. 
And Duncan Robinson just has these games as great as he can be as a cutter and off the ball and something. And then there's other times you're like, oh, can't play him tonight. He gets in foul trouble early. People go to attack him. I mean, having Hero have peak and valley games is exactly what you'd expect from a 20-year-old, so I'm not going to freak out about that. Um, but it's just a lot. It's a lot to ask Bam. And all that Bam stuff on those rolls to the hoop following some other action that the Celtics couldn't stop for a week. You know, you're yeah. just like, oh, you guys are going to let Bam roll and dunk like four possessions in a row. It's not even an option on this. And looking at some of the on the court, off the court stuff, you know, with the big group, because we've all been saying like, when are the Lakers going to go small? When are they going to go small? Well, they didn't need to go small unless it was against Houston, even though we still felt like, hey, they're probably better with Anthony Davis at the five. So whenever they had problems, we're like, oh, Anthony Davis five, Anthony Davis at the five. But if you looked at the encore, off court with the big groups, whether it was Dwight with LeBron and Davis or even JaVale with LeBron and Davis, JaVale's not even in the mix now. Um, those numbers are massive. I mean, there's even a number that shows with Davis and LeBron and Markeith Morris, who I think is pretty much lost, but he shows up great in some of the encore, off court stuff in those groupings. And look, it has a lot more to do with those other guys, but they didn't play Dwight much. Dwight's passing was really good. That's a minor thing that's worth pointing out because it was actually surprisingly amazing at times. I was like, my God, he's like making quick decisions around the basket, but he only played 15 minutes tonight. So they didn't even need him as a but, big, but uh, Miami want Miami wants him to play though, because then they can get him in pick and rolls and try to beat him 25 feet from the basket. They can try to run with him. Denver had some success. And uh, you could even see in that first quarter that was one of their game plans. Like, cool, you're playing Dwight. I, I just checked Twitter to see with the Dragic thing. There's, it's, people are saying he might be out for the for the whole series and it's a plantar fasciitis thing. Like, it's starting to gain momentum. So by the time people hear this, it might be announced that, you know, it's probably looking like he's out. I don't know. I don't see them. I don't think they have any chance if he's out. Do you think there's any chance that the East was even weaker than we thought? Very possible. You think about how much trouble Boston had with that zone and LeBron picked it apart in eight minutes. You know, LeBron's like, cool, you're playing this? All right. I'm just going to, I'm going to break it every time and then get wide open threes for people. You keep doing it, please. I mean, there's just little things that happen too. Like Davis got doubled and it was actually a good double and he kicks it to Markeith and he hits a three at the top of the key. And you're like, all right, well, that's the shot you want. You want him taking that shot. You doubled it perfectly. It didn't matter. I know Van Gundy pointed out some of the doubles that he didn't like they were doing, but they were doubling in isolation on LeBron and Anthony Davis, and they're both great passers. I mean, when there's pl when there are plays where LeBron decides to go into the post and turns his shoulder to see if a double's coming, and then yeah. Anthony Davis runs around and catches it. Like, when LeBron is doubled in the post and he's kicking it out to Anthony Davis to make a three, it's like, I fucking give up. <laughs> like, what are you well, supposed that thing, to do with that? Yeah, when Davis is making 25-foot contested threes, it, it hits that unfair zone, as Zach Lowe always says. <laughs> it's one of those unfair things. Like, no, you can't have that shot. Come on. That's not fair. Can we talk about Doc going to Philly? I only I have one last question though on this yeah. game. Are you surprised that Miami Heat did not use the Heat culture more in Game One? Well, I wonder. It makes me wonder about the Heat culture a little bit because Heat culture. I thought you know they interviewed Jimmy Butler before, and he's like, Heat culture is about never wanting to lose. I'm like, oh, cool, as opposed to the other cultures. Yeah. What is the Sacramento the, Kings culture? Is Sacramento, Sacramento Kings, Kings, Kings watch mind losing? Yeah. <laughs> we just let's get a sweat. Yeah. The. uh, I will say this. This is that my only my only positive thing about this maybe being a decent series. I really don't feel like that was the real heat tonight. I watched them this whole bubble. They are way tougher than that, especially with the 50-50 balls. And when you watch them, the 50-50 balls, they usually get. 
And if they're not getting them, that's not the Heat team I watched for the first three rounds. So I don't know what happened. Maybe they had deer in the headlights. It's the finals. It's LeBron. You know, who knows? Duncan Robinson certainly looked nervous. He was off. Man. I looked it up to see game one winners and see how it plays out. Yeah, I'm out. I'm sorry. I'm out. I, I, see, I see it going in differently, and I see game one differently than you do. And it's fair. We we disagreed. No, that's fine. I might be we'll, optimistic just because I want a good finals. Man, you you also just want this thing to be over. Why? Why would you say that? Well, then we could just move to football. Just start thinking about, you know, the Lions, make it a run. NFC North. <laughs> of all the things you could the have Raiders? Come up with, I think you picked, if you had 32 teams. Is Baker teams, Mayfield for real? Uh, yeah, has he turned the corner? Odell Beckham, what's going on with him? Yeah. We could just do four months of that. I love Odell. finals is over. You know why, though? You know why I don't want it to be over anytime soon? Is because the original projection of the NBA, and look, we're done with game one. We got it. Um, the original projection of Christmas Day, or maybe it's in January. I don't know if you're hearing what I'm hearing. I think it might I, be March. They, how about this? They have no fucking idea. It's, it's that much. It's the, that's we fine. have no fucking that's, idea. Okay, about. but that's fine. But what I'm hearing. No, it's, from, it's Martin Luther King Day minimum. Right. And the, the proposal essentially is, is owners go, all right, what are we doing? How are we going to do this? And it's like, so wait, if we rush back, we have no fans, but if we yeah, maybe not wait two more months, we could yeah. have fans. So I'm just, I just think it's important for us to point it out there with the people that we talk to that it's, it's far more likely to be a later start because that gives them more of a window to actually get people back in there. Cause they certainly don't want another season with no fans. Look, there's a habit of when we do podcasts, we say something and then three days later, it becomes like, oh, this. And we're like, yeah, we talked about that three days ago. Like Disney. Well, like like me, Doc Rivers going to Philly. I talked about that on my podcast yesterday. It was it's if they agree to a deal, he's going to Philly. And that was done from the moment he got fired. But this with the start of the season next year, they're not starting the season without fans. They want fans because guess what fans bring? Money. Guess what money brings? And passion. Them not losing money. Yeah. So they're going to try to figure out every possible scenario to start with fans. And worst case scenario, they'll do like some 18, 20 game bubble thing just for like a 20 game stretch, take a break and then hope they have fans. But it's like so far away from being figured out. They know they're not getting a vaccine. Silver admitted that in the commissioner interview today. They what they care about is this quick testing that they can do where you could basically you know, test the players every day. You can test fans coming into the game. Like if there's like a saliva test where instantly, you know, you're clear, you let you in. Um, they're looking at variables where it's like, it's done by seniority with season ticket holders and somebody like my dad, he gets to go because he's has longevity, but nobody can be in the two seats next to him. Like that's all the shit they're talking about. They don't have any answers yet. I think it's, I think it's minimum March. Yeah, no, we're in agreement. I, that's, and remember, as this lead up, we were trying to always figure everything out. Every time you talk to somebody, be like, hey, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. But what I feel really comfortable in saying is that there's no way this thing's happening. Uh, well, I shouldn't say no way because maybe something changes, but it feels more and more delayed than I think is the, at least out there publicly. Okay. Well, it's too much It's too much money. And there's a big difference between regular season money and playoff money. Because you look at a team like the Warriors, and it's like $5 million a home game, basically, for them. Plus all the stuff they own around the arena and things like that and the parking and everything like they, so they're looking at it just like every regular season game. We don't have fans. I lose 5 million a game. How long can we stretch this out to maybe get to a world where there are fans? 
And at some point, they're going to have a come to Jesus moment where they just have to decide. Okay, more of Bill Simmons, including uh, more stuff in the aftermath of Doc being out with the Clippers and trying to figure out the rest of this coaching stuff. Uh, but you know about Square. You might know Square is that little white reader, but Square has a lot more tools that can help your business. You know, that little thing that the guy will run your credit card through on the top of your phone. You know what I'm talking about. Especially now that businesses are having to figure out when and how to make things work in this new normal. But businesses are stepping up to the challenge. Wiggle, that's Wiggle Whiskey in Pittsburgh. Pennsylvania is a family-run distillery with tasting rooms, bottle shops, and restaurants. When their locations temporarily closed, they shifted focus to selling online with pickup and shipping. Wiggle turns its distillery into a drive-through and created special food and drink bundles. Now that some restrictions have been lifted, Wiggle is welcoming customers back to its distillery for indoor and outdoor dining while also continuing to take online orders. So if you're a business owner, Square has tools to help you shift your business like Wiggle Whiskey is doing. No matter what you're selling, it's easy to set up an online store with pickup delivery and shipping square can also help you switch to taking contactless payments in person like apple pay everything works together and it's all in one place you just need a square account to get started see all the ways square can help your business right now by visiting square.com slash go slash ryan that's square.com slash go slash ryan and of course r-y-e-n all right you made a good point because by the time this comes out and trying to keep up with all the coaching stuff which i think is kind of low-key ridiculous like how much stuff has gone on in a very short amount of time and i think it depends yeah. on who you're talking to because there's just so much stuff but yet it's happening at the same time that we have the nba finals here so i don't think it's necessarily getting all that attention okay so balmer fires doc i know what i've read i'll add to it what i've heard and that it was a surprise to doc doc didn't, doc didn't leave the bubble blowing the 3-1 lead thinking he was going to get fired um and I know it was reported that they kind of talked it out and then it's sort of a mutual understanding. I don't know that I I buy that. I think at one point, Doc definitely thought he was going to be able to get the chance to come back. They're going to run it back with this group. It was only one year. Yes, it was disastrous end. But hey, chances are teams are usually stay the course and see if they can't figure it out the next year because it's still on paper a good team. But the part that I learned more about was that when they did get bounced by Denver, blowing that 3-1 lead, blowing all those double-digit leads, that Balmer went crazy, okay? Balmer, who is super passionate, and we know he is worth more than I think the next seven ownership groups combined. He's worth $70 billion as of today. And the next seven owners are worth like around that, depending on the paper in the day. And just because he's worth more doesn't mean he gets to be more rational. But I always remind people that owners are just like fans. They just have the checkbook. And Balmer was great is at his introductory press conference. He's like, look, I don't really know how this works. So guess what Balmer does? He pays Doc a ton of money to be the coach and the GM. And then they take the GM stuff away from him. They bring in Lawrence Frank, who I like. I think is really good. He pulls off this great offseason last year. We get to that a little bit later. Maybe you disagree. He pays Frank a lot of money. Uh, there's a number two guy that makes a lot of money. I think the number three guy like, makes a lot of money. And when I started asking around about it, there's a lot of people in the league that are like, man, the Clippers – like Balmer cut some checks for this group. So there does this group say, hey. Plus assistant coaches. Yeah. <laughs> they have like and, the I, most expensive assistant coaches too. And Doc is known for that. I remember when the Celtics, like after a while, I would say there was times maybe they were frustrated with Doc and they were like, why are we paying a thousand assistants all this money? And we probably don't even have that great of a team. But, you know, look, whatever. Balmer says yes. He says yes to the trade for George and all the first round picks. He says yes because he gets him Kawhi. And they lose this series to Denver. And then he's thinking like, wait a minute, like we got Kawhi and George on two plus ones. So in a year from now, these guys could actually in theory leave. 
you sold me on all of this stuff and that Balmer actually, instead of settling down where I heard at first, he was like ready to hit the restart button on all of it. And I don't even necessarily mean with the players, but he calmed down, but he didn't calm down enough to the idea where he could be talked back into keeping Doc for another year. And that's at least the, the pre wherever we're at right now. There's some other things I want to throw in. I just don't want to go too long, but I don't know how much you agree, disagree with that, but that's basically what I'd heard in the last couple of days. Yeah, the timing is the key sign with it, that it didn't happen within the 48 hours, 72 hours after, because that's usually what it happen, What happens after a disappointing, you know, a, a crushing playoff thing like that that was so bitterly disappointing. And then you throw in three playoff series wins in seven years for Doc. You would have thought, all right, it's time for him to go. Well, that didn't happen. And I heard all the same stuff you did that, you know, initially it's like, we got to do this. They're talking him out of it. And, you know, I, I think there was some real stuff that went on in that Denver series too. Jackie and I talked about a little bit where, you know, they have one of the most ad expensive advanced metrics teams in the league, maybe even the number one most expensive. All of their stats in that series are the same stats that, um, you know, that we're seeing from, if you look up spectrum or the on-camera stuff, all that stuff, it's like when Harold plays, it's a disaster. When Jermichael Green plays, it's a disaster. When Lou Williams plays, it's a disaster. And they're telling Doc this. And this was in the Ramona Shelburne, but both of us have heard it too. They're telling Doc, like, look, this isn't the series for Harold. He can't play. Can't play him in this series. And Doc was doing the whole, look, he's my guy. We're, if we're going to go down, we're going down with my guys. He's doing that whole thing. And the numbers, which we talked about on podcasts that we did during that series, are, are just begging you not to play these certain matchups. He just wouldn't do it. So if you're Balmer, you're like, why am I paying all this money for coaches and then a front office and the coaches don't listen to the front office. And then the front office told me to spend all of these picks and all of this capital to get these two guys telling me that we're going to win the title. If we get them, we're out in the second round. And on top of it, we don't even have them for four years. We have them for two. What the fuck is going on? And he probably like flipped out. Yeah, and there's another part that may not seem as significant, but I think a lot of fans can relate to it. And it has to do with Michael Porter Jr. Now, Michael Porter Jr. is not the reason why Doc Rivers isn't the Clippers coach anymore. But I think just like fans who, you know, one of my least favorite ones is for years, the fan bases would be like, oh, we could have had Tony Parker. And I want to be like, right, because when Tony Parker was drafted, the 19-year-old little French kid, you were super mad that your team passed on him at the time. Like, you definitely didn't watch him, and then he turns into a Hall of Famer, and then you say, after, like, I don't always think that that's fair. But if you look at the Clippers in the year they had Michael Porter Jr. in the draft, they take Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who turns out to be terrific, even if I had to maybe reassess what I thought of him during the playoffs in that Houston series. And then Jerome Robinson, which I'm telling you right now, I never understood that pick. They had two shots at it. Made no and sense. Then, and then Michael Porter Jr., of all people, is on the Nuggets getting buckets. We know he's not a perfect player here, but there's a chance he could be really, really good. And Ballmer's thinking, okay, so I'm paying all this money on all these different people. And... We blow a 3-1 lead, and we blow it in a way where it's like we're blowing the leads in it. And yes, Kawhi stunk in Game 7, but I'm sorry, folks. I'm going to look at him differently than I look at Paul George, who continues to be atrocious in so many of these high-pressure moments. And then you're thinking, and what will happen with Michael Porter Jr. again? Like, what's going on? It's like, what, what happened? And I talked to somebody that said to me, because I was like, some, I wanted to ask teams that didn't have a chance to draft Michael Porter Jr. Because sometimes teams will say to you like, oh, well, it was this, this, and this because they're in the survival mode of, of, of spinning exactly what happened. I want to talk to teams that, that, that couldn't take him because of where they were in the draft or didn't have a pick. And it was like, you know what? One guy I talked to said, I've been doing this decades. 
Michael Porter Jr. had the worst medical we've ever reviewed. The worst medical ever. I checked with another team. They said red flag, red flag, heard, red I flag. I heard that okay? from the team, too. It was atrocious. And so the thing is, is Ballmer's probably wrong to be pissed at the front office if the Clippers medical people were saying Michael Porter Jr. is a do not draft. But if you're Ballmer and you've been writing these checks and now you feel like I don't know if betrayal is not the right word, but you're emotional, you're mad, you're worth all this money, your team just pissed away this lead, you thought you had a chance for a championship, you didn't even make it to the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals, and oh, by the way, this 6'11 freak is hitting shot after shot and looks like he might be awesome, and I was told that we can't draft him, and then it's like, yeah. what, what, and it just turns into one of those things where it's almost like your own little pity party, some of it justified, not justified, but when I was told that story, I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting, because then you find, like, when you're mad, you start finding even more reasons to be mad to justify your anger. Well, it's even worse than that. You, you mentioned how they had two picks. They were right in a row. They were also at a point, I thought they were taking them because, you know, you, you spend the one pick on the guy, you know, could help you right away. And then you kind of take the roll the dice pick. And it was the perfect range to roll the dice with them. I think Denver took them next, but they were at a point as a franchise, you know, it was pre Kawhi, pre Paul George. I think they had traded, they traded Chris Paul at that point. And they were kind of in that no man's land. We're kind of frisky. We're kind of fun, but they really needed to take some swings. And it was, I thought weird when they took Jerome Robinson at the time. They had I couldn't guards. believe it. It's such couldn't a strange pick. And, and it wasn't like, oh, you know what? The Jerome Robinson ceiling here, like he was kind of a, uh, I, I, you know, if you want to, hey, he was a bigger guard and maybe he could have played both positions. Well, you just took that with Shea. You just took right, it. But and you also, you had Lou Williams and you had Patrick Beverly. It's like, what do you need Jerome Robinson for? You, you know, I think they lucked out with the Zubats trade because the Lakers were just idiots with that. But, um, but for the most part, if you're looking at, all right, how do you assess the Balmer front office post-Doc when they, they took the car keys from Doc? The Chris Paul trade was pretty good. I think that that was a win for them. They got some picks. They got to rebuild. They sold on Blake at the absolute perfect time, even if it was completely cutthroat. And, you know, the, the Kawhi Paul George thing, when they did it, we both thought it was a great move. I still think it's a great move, yeah. by the way. I'm not going to do... Um, any exercise where all of a sudden I think like, oh, you know what? You shouldn't have done that. And if those guys leave, but every single team given the same opportunity, hey, you're going to have to trade these picks, but you're going to get Kawhi and Paul George. Even if I don't like Paul George as much as other people do, you do it every single time. With that but, said, with that said, neither of us liked it as much when we found out it was two years instead of four. I, and that was a detail that came out a few days later. And I was really surprised because... For I think you're scared of stuff, Kawhi, though. I think you're so scared of Kawhi that you I'm do everything like you can. For the amount of stuff you give up, you have to get more than two years. The players don't care. I guess. I, look, you're right in theory, but the players don't care. Get and me if you're three telling, years at least. Right. Okay, three but if and you're... A, three and a walkout. If you're the GM, Bill, and you're dealing with whoever you're dealing with, Kawhi, and you're on the phone with Presti, and you're trying to make this simultaneous move here where you're adding these kinds of players, and now you're a completely different franchise, and everybody's excited about it, and it still seems like for all of their problems, I'm like, they still were up 3-1 on Denver. They still were up 3-1 on Denver. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, sometimes I think we'll look at college football coaches and be like, oh, man, this is a disaster. And you're like, yeah, he's 10-2, and two, and he's going to an awesome bowl game. Like, disaster is 5-7, and seven, folks. This was a disaster in the end, but I don't know. Would you have the guts as a GM to 
to call, like to stare down Kawhi and say, hey, this is not happening if you don't give me the third year guarantee. Because I don't think most people would do it. I wouldn't have done it if it was just for two years. I think it's too much. Really? Uh, yeah, I think it's too much. I think it's easy to say from the outside. I, 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 really I said it when it happened. It really made me nervous. No, I'm not it, saying like timeline. I'm saying to be the man in the seat that actually has to make that call. It's can, different can than us talking do, about it. Can't you at least make conditions with the OKC trade? Like if he leaves after two years, <laughs> you might, our 2025 pick goes back to us or I don't know, something. Okay, right, I, I me, thought it was really risky, but you know, that's how desperate they were. They were so desperate. He was so afraid of losing LA to the Lakers, even though the Lakers own LA. And he was like, well, they're, they have LeBron and Davis. I got to do something. Which one happened first? Actually, Davis happened first, right? No, Davis happened after, but everybody thought they were getting Davis. Well, the Davis thing went on for six months. Right. So, but I think he was, he just felt like he had this short window and they went all in. I don't know. Like if they beat Denver, would they have beaten the Clippers, beaten the Lakers? Probably not considering all the stuff we're finding out about how, uh, how dysfunctional their locker room was. But I think if you're going to criticize doc for anything during the year, it was, you know, it, the load management thing, it just didn't work. And I didn't say that at the time and it's hindsight, it's 2020, all that stuff. But it never allowed that team to find a rhythm and to find any chemistry. And I understand why they did it, but now you look back at it and you go, eh, it just didn't work because they never found that chemistry. Yeah. Because it was, um, they never had know, that. They never had that two week run where it was like, Oh, this is the Clippers. Yeah. Davis happened four days before the Davis trade happened four days. It was July 6th. And then Paul George right. was July 10th. So I think um, that, that, that built into the pressure of it. There's no question. Okay. I have two things that are quick. And then I want to get to the doc and some of the coaching things here and we'll, we'll finish up. But this I thought of on my own. But if you look at Kawhi and you go, okay, San Antonio, he doesn't have to be a leader because there's a million leaders there. He goes to Toronto, they win, which he deserves all the credit in the world for, but it was still Lowry's team. And then well, you, you have Lowry, you have Gasol, you have Ibaka, yeah. you have Nick Nurse, you have a lot of leadership on that team. You get to the Clippers. Basically, Doc had to be the leader because Kawhi wasn't. And then, yes, if you're Paul George, you keep playing this bad in playoff games. I don't care if you're a max guy or not. I don't care what your skill set is, your self-appointed nickname, the most talented Jeff Green I've ever seen, which I don't think he uses. Uh, hmm. You know, th those guys, like, I, you know, I don't love the idea of, hey, we get a trade for chemistry because then you end up usually used, losing the trade. And there's all these deals out there that could be a surprise to any of us. It feels a little quiet right now with some of the stuff, um, but we're always surprised be constantly. Yeah, there, there's this league offers us surprises all the time about what the transactions could be. But I would say as far as like you're one and two, it's tough when you're asking them to be voices. And then like Beverly's the most vocal guy and then he can't get right in the entire playoffs because he's hurt. And I think even more of that fell on Doc fair or unfair, that's where you expect Doc to kind of step up, and it just was impossible towards the end. I wouldn't pay Montrez Harrell 15, 16 million a year, especially when I don't know what's going on with the cap. Because I can't play him against the two teams I need to beat in the West. I can't play him against Denver, and I can't play him against the Lakers. So why am I paying him 15 million a year so I can beat, you know, Sacramento in February? I just wouldn't pay him. I think they have to sign and trade him the Beverly thing, he's hurt every year. There's always something wrong with him. He's never healthy. 
uh, it's always this, it's that, it's something else. And, you know, he is what he is. He's a poor man's Marcus Smart. So, you know, Lou Williams, who's been on a million teams, who's one of the worst playoff players of all time. Honestly, if you look at alleged scorers who played 25 minutes or more in the playoffs, whatever, his stats are historically bad. He's completely falls apart every postseason. I don't know why you would think like that's somebody you want to build around again for this year. So I think they have tradable contracts. I think they have moves to make. Everybody is going to want, you know, you can always trade for somebody's semi mistake somewhere else, but you know, Lou Williams has value because he's like Jamal Crawford was the second half of Jamal Crawford's career where people are like Jamal, he's great. He's a huge playoff guy. Big sh- makes big shots. It's like, not really. What are, what's the evidence of that in the playoffs? So, I think they could clean house and build a team that makes a little more sense. And the keepers for me, Kawhi, Paul George, unless you could trade him for Bradley Beal, Zubats, Shamit. I think everybody else is available. I would, I, I would not I, pay. Look, I'm with you on Montrez. Um, there's dark parts of him that I, I absolutely like. But when you start paying those kinds of guys north of 15, 16 million a year, you immediately regret the ink. It's the Tristan, like, it's a Tristan right. Thompson, 18 million yeah. a year thing. It's great when you have for eight. But when it's 18, all of a sudden it's like, yikes. Yeah, right. And it's like, hey, I hope you enjoy it because like, nobody's going to want to touch this deal until it's like two years are expiring. Okay, like, the- like Tice is like that too, right? Tice for $5 million, great. Tice for $60 million for four years, not great. No. No, and I, I think we you watch Tice all the time. You like Tice a lot, but uh, he's not that kind of guy. All right, yeah. so now... This is the funniest part about the coaching thing. Like, just go through it in itself because Ty Lue plays into a bunch of different factors. Doc certainly does as well. But Ty Lue, at one point, people thought around the league it was locked up. There's somebody even from Philly reporting Lue to the Sixers. And then Lue, I don't know if it was the Dan Tony leaving Houston thing that got in his way. That's part of it. Lue gets rid of clutch. And then when we think maybe Dan Tony's getting the Sixers I, job. I heard Lue, the dollar signs with Lue were pretty out of whack. I think he wanted to be paid like a coach who won a title. And, you know, if you're looking at it, if I'm an owner, I'm like, well, you coach LeBron. LeBron's the second best player of all time. I don't know if you're worth like Greg Popovich money. So I think that was, I think that was part of it with Lou. Uh, I would say that's totally fair. Very okay. accurate. Right. Yeah. Because if you're going to pay Doc like eight or nine, I mean, do you have to pay Doc 10? He just, what, made 11? Uh, you know, I don't know. You also got to, you know, every now and then it's not terrible to go, hey, who are we bidding against again? <laughs> like so right. many deals where you go, who exactly are we blocking from this transaction with this kind of money? Because are we, what are we doing here? But Lou could go from thinking he had the Philly deal to maybe not getting the money he wanted. I still think he should have been playing New Orleans in some way. But if it were the price tag thing, maybe that's the case. Because I wouldn't imagine New Orleans would want to start paying like $8 million a year for Ty Lue. Um, and I don't know if that's true. You know what I mean? We're just throwing numbers around here. But then now Doc may block D'Antoni. And again, it's price. Um, I actually, look, despite all the people beating up on Doc right now, I actually think it's probably exactly what like Simmons and MB would need. Because if they can't figure out what those two guys, um, then I don't know if anybody can necessarily. I never thought D'Antoni was a fit with that roster unless you're going to change things around, which then circles back to Lou maybe in play for the Clippers. 
because he's really close to Jerry West. But then there's always the element of all this Balmer stuff we're saying where Balmer might just say, you know what, go get me Jeff Van Gundy. If Jeff Van Gundy really wants to coach again, then give me Jeff. He's a name. I have no problem paying Jeff Van Gundy this kind of money. Um, he's got a better resume than Ty Lue. I know maybe people would debate, no, Lue's got the championship, all this different stuff. But all of this stuff has been really, really connected. So it feels like it changes all the time. The weirdest thing about the Clippers situation to me is that they had no idea what they were going to do about their coach when they fired Doc. Because totally. when they did it, I was like, oh, they're promoting Ty Lue or, oh, they have, you know, this other person coming. It was like when, when the Celtics let Doc, the Celtics extended Doc. And then a year later, Doc's like, eh, I, I want to go. I, he, he knew he had a chance to get the Clippers job. And I called him out on this on TV and everyone got mad at me, but he quit on the Celtics. He, he wanted to coach the Clippers. The Celtics didn't quit on him. They had just given him a huge contract. They ended up trading him. But the reason that they were okay with him leaving was because Danny was infatuated with Brad Stevens. And he's like, we can get, get rid of doc and we get a pick for him and I'll hire Brad Stevens. So they went, they made the splash. The Clippers got rid of hey, Doc. By the way, they, with, the Celtics were pissed about it. Okay. So this isn't a they secret. They were really and you're pissed not, about it. They they're, were really, they, they were like, they're they felt still betrayed. pissed about it. Right. Yeah. They're still pissed about it. Um, I think with the Clippers to get rid of Doc, who makes so much money, I don't know what the buyout was, but the guy was the most expensive coach in the league, but not have a plan of who's going to replace him. I thought spoke to how impetuous the decision was by Bomber. Not impetuous, but how passionate he was that I just, I need a fresh start. I got to get rid of it. I got, I, somebody has to pay for what happened. And that's what you, you know, whether that was a smart decision or not, we'll see. But if they got rid of doc and replaced him with somebody who's not as good of a coach, that's not great. Yeah. Uh, I look the way it played out. It, it just, I feel great about sharing that. I don't think doc thought he was losing his job when he left Orlando. Oh, you, you don't. are a hundred percent right on that. Right. This was not, this was not right. a, yeah. This was not <laughs> a mutual you. thing. No, it wasn't a mutual thing. It was Balmer's like, you know, it was your, it was your girlfriend in college calling and be like, Hey, can you come over? I just want to talk for a second. Okay. Come over. It's like, yeah, this isn't working out. I want to see other people. What? That was doc. Doc was, doc was, had no idea. I don't think. I think he probably knew Balmer was pissed. I'm sure they had discussions that. Yeah. Zero percent's probably low to put. Cause you know, I'd, I'd heard, but I, you know, however it played out and how it was reported, where it kind of felt like, hey, we're going to meet, we're going to talk again, we're going to talk again. I think Balmer was just furious. And all you have to watch is the developers, 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 developers video and know this guy's a super passionate guy. Watch and, him at a Clipper game. He's a maniac. Right. Yeah. yeah. So if that guy's leaving Orlando going, we just blew a 3-1 lead and now I'm pissed and I'm paying all this money. Like, what are we doing here? I mean, as much as people hate the people that are in charge that make all the money, well, a lot of the reason you make all that money is because even if it's not your fault, you're the one that loses his job because of something else that happened. And maybe, you know, look, some of this is on Doc. So I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm covering for Doc the entire time because I am not. I do like him as a coach. He and ran his he, course seven yeah, years that's in fine. his time. Yeah. I have a question for you because I, I think we at least have to acknowledge it. Neither of us think they had another coach in their pocket when they got rid of doc. Is it possible they did? Is there possible there's somebody that they're trying to get or that they think they can get and they're sending out the smoke signals of, yeah, we don't know who the next coach. What do you, who do you think we should? Get? And meanwhile, they have the guy. And if they, and if they do, who is it? Cause I, the only guy I was thinking was Calipari. I've, by the way, don't aggregate this. Don't put it in a blog. Too late. Too late. Um, 
That's going to be the title. Coach, but it, Coach could Cal it be, of the Clippers? Because Ballmer pays top dollar. Everyone knows. See, everybody who has a good job with the Clippers is at the high end of whatever the salary is for that job. If anyone was going to look at Calipari and say, yo, what about 12 million a year? And if you're Calipari, is there college basketball this year? Are you even going to have a season? You, ju you just had the last one get canceled. Like at some point, you're a competitive There's be a guy season. that wants to do stuff. Yeah, no, but who knows? Be some college basketball. We, we think, maybe. Okay, so let me answer the beginning of it first. Is there another would, Calipari version? Like, is it just Calipari? Is there another coach that's Mick on that Cronin. level? Okay. I'm kidding. McKernan. I mean, he is an L.A. guy, so culturally he would fit in. Easy moves. Yeah, super easy. Probably didn't even have to call anybody to help him move out. Uh, <laughs> Phil Jackson? Yeah. Phil Jackson with, like, a cane? What is he, like, 80 now? <laughs> The well, Phil like, Jackson I, stuff, nobody was doing that seriously. I think people were just saying, like, whatever. But at this point with Phil, like, and you you had a great line. I remember I was in Alabama. I was at the courtyard, and we got you on on that Friday before, like, a Bama game. So this is a really long time ago mm. when Phil was, what was it? Was it the Knicks job? Yeah. I, I, was, even I, was, I was, like gonna die on that hill that the next thing was yeah. gonna be a disaster because you no said he's gonna work hard he wasn't even he didn't move to new york no he was but doing you it from like from like redondo beach or wherever it lives no the line that you had is you go because you know we weren't that close and it was like hey do you want to come on and talk about this phil thing and you're like yeah absolutely you're like where i was like i'm solo in alabama and you're like all right great great and you go rosillo do you even realize the major problem like the first problem with this and i go you know i already knew i didn't know the answer and I go, what, what? And you go, when they called him, he was asleep. That's a problem. And he's going <laughs> to scout. He's going to run an organization. I forgot like, about what? that. Yeah, You were like, it wasn't even that late. And there were games on and he was <laughs> asleep. <laughs> it's true. He had just, he turned it in for the night at like 745. Yeah. There are so many red flags. He didn't want to move. He, he, he didn't want the job. <laughs> like. What what if I told you, hey, I don't want to work there, man. I don't want to work at the ringer. And then you guys just made me offers for 10 days in a row. And then I was like, all right, fine. Would yeah. you feel good about it? Stay where you are. You were like, because Phil Jackson, he told them, like, I don't, I'm not going to be one of those guys who's scouting college players. I'm not yeah, going to be on the road that go to different games. Yeah. And they're like, cool. Sounds great. <laughs> what was the job? <laughs> I, I still don't know why they gave it to him. It was, that was just really strange. But, hey, good for him. He cashed in one last time. Guy had a great career. I don't think the Lakers, or excuse me, I don't think the Clippers know. I know what you're asking. So, I, I don't know. Like, I, my my easiest answer is I don't know. Maybe. But my guess is that when they did the doc thing, they didn't already know who they were going to hire. My, well, I, my that's, question that's is, who, my are, who are the biggest names available that we're not thinking of other than Calipari? Like, Popovich? He's under contract with the Spurs. Um Carlisle? I don't know. I'm just trying to think of like iconic coaches, either pro or college. Alvin Gentry, get him a sixth job. Well, he already coached the Clippers. He can't, no, he can't hire somebody he already had. But if Gentry got a sixth shot at being a head coach, then maybe. Gentry, we Western know. Conference Finals, game six, 2010. It's better than a lot of these people. I'm just, you know. I, when I looked up Gentry the other day, he was, I think, an intern once and straight up hired four times. And I was like, yeah, I don't think he's going to get that sixth job. You know, the track record of the fourth job is not great, much less the <laughs> fifth job. 
That's a column right there. You may get back behind the old keyboard. Well, I was the thinking like with time track record. I was thinking like with Dan Tony. You know, it would be the, his fourth. What? What? How many teams is he's five teams? Phoenix, fifth Knicks. Yeah, Rockets, Lakers, who, Lakers. That's right. So that that turned out well. That turned out well four times for him. I guess maybe the fifth time is the funny one. Then the fifth time is not the charm. Uh, Byron Scott's got Lakers, Nets, um, Pelicans, but they might have been the Hornets. Byron Scott was bad. Uh, nice guy by all counts. Not a great coach. Yeah. All right. New Orleans, the Nets. I'm trying to think. Oh, wait. Cleveland. He was the head coach yeah. of Cleveland. Byron yeah. Scott's had four jobs. I remember when he got the Lakers job and Magic Johnson tweeted out, happy days are here again. And they went 21 and 61 and then 17 and 65. They were not happy days indeed. How do you think they're keeping Magic out of this whole... Lakers finals, this whole thing when he's, you know, Polinka wants no part of him. I don't think him and LeBron are like airtight. Um, who knows what's going on with him and Jeannie, but he hasn't inserted himself in the proceedings, which is a magic, especially let's be honest. We love magic, but he's, he's not a sit on the sidelines, not be heard from guy. Like, do you think, does he pop on first take in the next five days? Oh, is Matt, Oh, I give you over under Wednesday. Is he is he on first take over under Wednesday before which go under or over? Under. Yeah, Monday this or pot Tuesday alone. Be on first take. Yeah. yeah, this pot alone, somebody's gonna reach out after I, the fact. We're like, we need magic on right now. If they're up 3-0 in the series. I he's gotta come in. He's gotta come in with one of his over-the-top Laker takes, like Anthony Davis is the best Laker ever. Like so, just some crazy, there's no, you know, no way to prove it. And it will get headlines and then he'll do like two other things that will make news and he'll claim that him and Plink are great now. The Lakers got the four wins before the heat. Congrats to the Lakers. Uh, <laughs> that'd be a good one. Trying to guess the magic tree. He might just be locked in a baseball right now. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Remember though, he did the whole, when he left and he's like, I'm not going to. I'm not going to undermine what we had. He get that crazy one hour press conference and it just kept going. And people, reporters were like, okay, cool. Thanks magic. And he was like, and then he's like, look, I'm not going to undermine this, but whatever. I have too much respect. And then like a week later, he was on first take trashing Palenka. It's calling him like a double agent or whatever. All that crazy shit. He said, like he's, we will definitely hear from magic over the next week. It's happening. No, that's, that's the best info in the entire podcast right there. Because I hadn't even, I hadn't even thought about it. And I'm, I already can see him up there and it will be, Hey, look, if it wasn't for me, LeBron doesn't come there. Um, he's, he's trying right to now, find out if he can do the Bristol car wash. They're like, uh, Bristol's closed. It's a pandemic. Well, he's like, what about, what about a Hudson park? Where, where do they film first take Hudson, Hudson yards? How about a Hudson no, yards car wash? It's, uh, the seaport, isn't it? Seaport what if I, what if I was wearing a hazmat suit? Could I come up first take then? Can I do first take a Jalen and Jacoby in a hazmat suit? Dustin Johnson could be running the Lakers and LeBron was going to go there. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, Once LeBron bought the second house in Brentwood that was next to the first house, and both of them were like $40 million combined. He was going to the Lakers. He just got a new place in your neighborhood, didn't he? Which one? I saw that. LeBron just bought that $36 million place. That's, that's, that's down. That's like a left past your place. No, I know what you're trying to do. I know what you're trying to do here. <laughs> I'm just glad you caught on. 
<laughs> Some half the times I miss your sneaky little like one line under your breath. By the way, it's everyone's favorite game. I know, I know. Right? <laughs> so, so don't worry. And by the way, folks, I don't think you have to worry about them picking up on it at any yeah. point because they're very I pick subtle. On a couple times. No, and I, I'm not okay. saying it's like you when you're when I'm trying to make a point. I'm not locked into everything you're doing. I just you know little van, they were they were Van Pelt's probably least favorite part of doing the show together. Although I haven't talked to him since we talked gambling, so now I'm afraid. Jesus. Um, all right, your uh, next podcast is when. Uh, tomorrow night. All right. I, I want, I'm trying to time it for, you know, I want to react to Colts jets. Smart, smart. So see how that plays out and, you know, try to come up with a great angle, hit that and some other things. Looking forward to it. All right. Sounds good, man. Thank you. I'll see you on mine next week. That's right. Tuesday. Let's talk some college ball with Danny Cannell. But first, this football season will be different. Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how much you watch this season. Uh, I got to tell you, really happy about a couple different things. I'm just happy to see the Chiefs. I can't imagine. I know that sounds lame, but I should do this. Sports jealousy rankings. Like which fan bases are most jealous of another fan base's current situation? The Warriors would be way up there, although everybody hated them. But that's not really the point as long as you're winning. I think Mahomes would have to do it a little bit longer to surpass the Warriors part of it. But again, football is more popular. I would say the Mahomes jealousy fan base ranking is as high as, I don't know, the last 20 years, man. It's up there. All right. It's definitely up there. I don't know. You a uh, premier soccer league guy, Kyle. Anything you want to add to this? No, but the way that uh, I feel about the Chiefs and how excited they must be was like 2012 when I was gearing up for Patriots football season. It's like, man, I think they could do anything. So good for them. Love yeah, them. even even the Patriots thing, and it went that long, so there should be massive jealousy there. But the Chiefs part of this, like this is another level of confidence I have in a team. And it, it feels exactly like my level of confidence that I have with the Warriors. Anyway, Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day. Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. I got to do that. Fan base jealousy rankings. Which fan bases are you the most jealous of? Note that, Kyle, and we will put that in the file of to do later. It's early in the season, but I didn't want to wait any longer. My former co-host, Danny Cannell, now with CBS Sports, and of course, Sirius XM with Greg McElroy, 7 to 10 a.m. Uh, out there. That must be kind of fun with you and McElroy. Does he, who, I can't figure out who would be more turned off by the other guy sooner. <laughs> what are you talking about, man? We have, Our chemistry is electric right there. It is funny, though, because I feel like I am significantly older. Like, he is young. He's How 31. Young is he? He's, he's 31. 31. Oh, he's man. a baby. And yet he's kind of like the older, more mature, serious, cerebral, let's break down the game. And I'm like goofing around, talking trash to SEC fans type of guy. So it's like there's a little bit of a role reversal going on there, but it works. And I, it's fun, man. We have a good time together. He's a good dude. He's a, I mean, good. he's going to be a star. Like, I don't know how long we're going to be able to do the radio show together because he's – and this isn't – I don't think this is private intel. Like, when the SEC goes to ESPN, he's probably going to be the guy on the SEC game of the week. And, like, I don't know if he's going to be down for doing five days of morning radio at the time. So I'm just enjoying while it lasts. Everybody wants to do radio until they have to do it five days. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he's been doing – I think this is his seventh year. 
Like he started, you talk about a baby when he started. He's been doing the show forever. So, yeah. yeah and you also know, have the distinction of two backup New York quarterbacks. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's the thing we that really fight happen. over. It's like whose career was less illustrious. That's what we, that's what we fight about. Based on expectations? Because, <laughs> mm, I mean, look, you played. I mean, he barely, <laughs> he barely <laughs> even played. But he, I remember when I met him, I met him. I was in New York City for the draft. I don't know why. I had to think I was doing something with Madden. I had to have been doing something with Madden. And I ended up going out to something and all the draft picks were there and McElroy was there and he already was carrying himself. I think people nicknamed him the Senator. He's got like yeah. that Kirk Cousins thing in him, even though I like totally. Greg. Person, yeah. And like he Kirk. was, and he'll tell you, he'll be the first one to tell you he wanted to be a politician. Like he, that was his goal. Like as in graduating college, like I'm going to play football and then I'm going to be a politician. And instead he got into broadcasting. <laughs> All right. Well, somebody who would never get the Southern vote, Danny, uh, <laughs> let's start with, with LSU, yep. you know, going into that game and watching him struggle against KJ Costello and Mike Leach in this air raid and 600 plus yards of offense. And you're like, Oh my God. And then part of me is like, you know what? Maybe only having three guys back from a team that won the title and no preseason, really. Maybe that is going to be challenging. Now, granted, they're at home, but home with no one there is different. Um, but what did you see? Let's start at least from Mississippi State's side, because maybe they're actually good, and this isn't a terrible loss to an unranked team at home. And then we'll do the LSU side. So start with Leach in that offense first. So with Leach, I, I don't know why we should be surprised with yeah. Mike Leach having success, right? I mean, everywhere he's been... He's had a tremendous amount of success on the offensive side of the ball. He's been at programs that are very similar to what Mississippi State is in the SEC. No matter, this shouldn't be a you know no Mississippi State fan should take offense. It's just it's not a traditional powerhouse, right? And when he That's was okay. in the Big, yeah, I think it's okay right? to say that. And it was when he was in the Big Twelve, he wasn't at a traditional powerhouse in Texas Tech. When he goes to Washington State, not a traditional powerhouse there. But at each one of those schools. He built them into winners where they were competing with powerhouses. The only thing that I think is still kind of out there is, all right, well, what is, um, how, how quickly this happened? Like, I mean, 623 yards, come on. Like, that is insanity that that was his first game. And it was sort of the perfect storm. You mentioned LSU's issues, and we'll get to those. But, like, I'll give you an example. So, Kylan Hill, the running back, who had, you know, 1,300 rushing yards last year. This is where I think he's awesome, genius. by the way. Like, this is right. not a fluke. That guy's unbelievable no. in the way so he's this, catching passes. And this is where I think the genius of Mike Leach comes in. Good coaches find ways to utilize their best athletes. It doesn't matter what position you play. And I think the game of football is evolving that way anyway. It's becoming more positionless. Like, look at Kyle Pitts, tight end. But what he was doing for Florida was remarkable. They're just finding ways to get him the ball. He's running routes. So you've got a running back like Kylan Hill. I saw a stat before the game because I was curious, like, what is he going to do with a, a workhorse running back like Kylan Hill? So Kylan Hill last year had eight games where he went over 100 yards rushing. Mike Leach in his entire time at Washington State, which is eight years, I believe, maybe nine years, he only had eight running backs in a game go over 100 yards. So, like, it's just like those two together was like, oh. And I guarantee you that other coaches – across the country were semi-recruiting, right? Not like, you know, you're not allowed to, but probably saying, hey, are you sure you don't want to transfer? You want to play in that air raid? Like where you're not going to get to run the ball? And they, I'm sure they reference some of these stats. Like, oh, Mike Leach doesn't run the ball at all. And I guarantee you that Mike Leach's response to Kylan Hill was, I'm going to get you the football. And that's exactly what you saw. Eight, catch, eight catches for 158 yards. Like it was phenomenal. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal performance. 
And one of the best parts about it is Kylan Hill, who already would have probably been an NFL draft pick, is probably watching his draft stock exponentially increase every time he has a game out like that. The same way that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire last year at LSU sneaks into the first round. Like that doesn't happen if they don't have Joe Brady and Joe Burrow finding ways to make him creative and make him more versatile as a back. So I just thought that was an incredible fun aspect of that game to see a a true SEC running back all of a sudden get into this offense and become this, you know, receiving threat. And then there was some other weapons that were out there. And KJ Costello, I know this isn't this isn't any news to anybody. That's kind of been the the conversation over the last three or four days since that game transpired. This legitimately might be the best quarterback, the most talented, physically gifted quarterback that Mike, Mike Leach has ever had, unless you consider Tim Couch, who was back in Kentucky when Mike Leach was a coach there. Like, but as far as a head coach, I don't think it's close. And so... Well, no, it's been brought up. I mean, as far yeah. as like highly recruited um, in recent memory, and it's a great call on Washington State, by the way, because I think people lose track and stuff. I know we do all the time, but to think that he started at Washington State 2012, like that was... I mean, he was there a lot longer than, than maybe you think. It's just that, and he won nine games two years. He won 11 games another year. Um, but this is as far as like the recruiting classes coming in. You say, hey, look, Mississippi State's never going to hang with Bama, Georgia, Florida, LSU, but it's still better recruiting or better recruits, I should say, than he's ever had before because I'd rather be the fifth or sixth best recruiting spot in the SEC than Washington State. I mean, that's just normal. And it's the same thing going back to Lubbock. But when I watched what LSU did on defense, where I still think they have talent. Yeah, especially with, with Sting, looks Stingley's out. That's a huge problem. We're talking about one of the top corners in the country, even as a freshman. Um, the kid who uh, made the pick is, is one of the top recruits overall, and not just at his position. Um, and then there's a handful of edge guys. But then when you're running crossing routes and Bo Pelini <laughs> never adjusts the entire time, I, at least I know my people on the ground in Baton Rouge were like, "Are you like, is this what we're going to do all year? Just let somebody <laughs> beat us with the same play every single time? So I think on that side of it, Miles Brennan, we could talk a million different LSU part, but I think the scary part is like, wait, is what's Bo Pelini's plan here long term? Right. And I mean, we, it sh I guess it shouldn't be that much of a shock. Uh, I think Bo Pelini was a great coach at Nebraska, but great is stubborn. exaggerating. No, uh, no. good coach. He, no, well, look, they, but look at what I've been through left. the Nebraska thing with, okay, that's fine. Right. But like when he was there, if you go through the wins and you go through the losses, like they were almost guaranteed to have six wins every single season. Okay. Great is not a good word. I shouldn't have yeah. used great. Um, well, that's why I, I challenged you despite our separation. <laughs> thank, you. We thank you for doing that. That was a lazy kind of throwaway <laughs> word and you caught me on it. So thank you for that. Um, but I do think he's a good defensive mind. But I think what I was getting to is I think what we can all agree on is even at Nebraska, when you saw the way he dealt with the media, I mean, stubborn would have been the perfect word to describe him. And I think that's what you saw on display to a fault when he didn't make any adjustments. Like how about just run a straight cover for umbrella, like make them drive the length of the field because you know, eventually maybe you get a drop ball, maybe you get a sack, maybe you can just make some tackles and you get a breather. Like it, it just like, instead of sticking with the exact same thing with all these crossing routes, which put a tremendous amount of pressure on your DBs where they're trying to catch up, they're getting picked across the middle. I mean, it's working to perfection. Mike Leach is out there. Think, I, I, I bet in his mind and with his little single sheet of play calls, because he's not real complex, it's really easy. And, you know, most guys have the, the big, you know, uh, 11 by 17 play call sheet. Mike Leach just has this little kind of three by five card because that's all he needs. And he knows it in the back of his mind, like the back of his hand. 
And he's probably thinking, wait, they're still giving this to us? Like, this is remarkable. And I do think like this, because I've, I've been trying to figure out, all right, is this what we're going to see the entire season? I don't think so. This might be the 623 yards passing. I don't think he surpasses that. Like, how can he? That's insane. Oh, God, because I, but like, I, I hope not either, but they do have better athletes. Well, but I do. think it, yeah. was the, it was the stubbornness on display. And like, how can, how can you be that blind to what is happening while you're in the game? That's beyond me. Like how any coach would say, I have to try something different. That's why it's completely perplexing and why your boys in Baton Rouge are probably saying the same exact thing. Like, this is incredibly frustrating. I'm mad at myself for, because I, I actually, I did some picks before the game and I was like, LSU will figure it out. They have better athletes. You know, we'll just figure out who they are. And like you mentioned, a, a four or five star making a pick and they have Yeah, Eli Ricks, was, just, I mean, he yeah. was a top five player overall in the country. Um, Cox, Stevens, Ali Gay. Like when I watch them play and make plays, I'm like, they actually still have some guys here. But there's nothing, right. I guess, I don't know. I mean, it fell apart. And obviously the offense didn't instill a ton of confidence in anybody at the beginning of the game either. Right. But, but I think your point, and so af, right after the immediate aftermath of the 15-0 perfect season, which Joe Burrow, perfect season, like the incredible nature of that season. And then that picture that was going around of the depth chart at the national championship game. And there's almost, you know, 70% of the names from this, you know, the, 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 the two deep are crossed out and you're thinking, man. And so I was like, Hey, this is going to be a rough year for LSU fans. Like this is going to be rough. And then like, I was thinking in a regular season, seven and five, you know, this year, probably six and four with a 10 game season. Uh, but then like leading up to the game, I got kind of caught up in the, well, Coach O is a great coach. You know, they have all this talent. We just don't know who they are yet. Um, they'll figure it out. Miles Brennan had an illustrious high school career. Like, he'll be fine. And then I'm like, and then after the game, I'm kicking myself thinking, how could I have laid 16 and a half points in that matchup, picking them to cover when it is going to be a massive kind of learning curve process. And then on top of that, you put Bo Pelini's defensive scheme, which was completely exposed in that game, uh, in the lack of adjustments, and it makes perfect sense. Okay, what would you do looking around the rest of the country? Because you know, I've read a bunch of different people talking about how they vote or how they would vote, and some teams are like, I'm not voting until a team actually plays. So the AP stuff, if you track it, it's all over the place. But actually, <laughs> this is one of the few times where I'm like, I'm okay with it. I'm actually okay with everybody having their own different rules because eventually everybody is going to play. And it is kind of funny how college football is like, we can't do this, we can't do this. And then once everybody did it, I think we're down to only three teams that aren't playing football. UConn was like, can we still not play because we're broke? <laughs> yes, we're like, all right, it's, it's, still, it's still okay if we don't play because it's going to cost us so much money to actually put a team out there. Cool, we're not going to play. Uh, what would you do and how have you looked at, you know, trying to figure out what you would do with Ohio State? How do you look at Miami, which I think we should get to at some point because we'll give you a yeah. couple minutes on your Florida State Seminoles. But I'm actually okay now with with anybody kind of making it up because I imagine it like it always does. It takes care of itself. This year is going to be far more challenging. I wouldn't make any predictions, but I'm kind of open, at least at this point, with people kind of making up their own rules, which they generally do a lot of times the voting, but even more so open to it because of what's going on right now. So I've been told that one of the good things about college football is the chaos, right? Like that's good for us. We get to talk about it, the controversy. I, that's all I see with the AP top 25 is just chaos. Like there's no consistency to what they've attempted to do. Like I was kind of annoyed when before the season and the big 10 was not playing, like they were not playing until the spring and then they've got them in the top 25. I'm like, well, that, why? Like, well, if they're not playing, why are we having them in there? And then, of course, they pulled them out when the game started. But then 
they put them back in this week. Like I, and they're still not playing for another four weeks. Like it just, there doesn't make much sense, but I'm kind of over it now where it doesn't bother me. But at the same time, I'm going back to being bothered when I see Ohio state at six, like, okay. Yeah. They were two, they were two in the preseason with 21 first place votes. And they didn't do anything. They haven't played. They still have the same talent. Nobody's hurt. They've actually added guys back. And yeah, Sean Wade, got, Wyatt Davis, like, back. what are we doing? So I understand that. And that would be frustrating if, if I was an Ohio State fan. But go ahead. I'll take all the callers from Ohio State and we'll have fun with it. Like, you know, I guess that's what we're supposed to do in this business because the chaos is supposed to be good. I just think this year is going to be wild. I mean, I, I think it's going to be crazy. And yet when I say that, back in my mind, I'm like, we're just going to get Clemson and Bama in the end anyway. But I do think... And, and possibly Ohio State, um, which is all the same teams anyway. But I think the biggest winners from all this, from shortened season, from conference games only, um, yes, we lost some incredible matchups. I would have loved to see an Ohio State go to Eugene and play Oregon. I would have loved to see some of these other matchups that we lost out on. But on a week-to-week basis, when we don't have to watch cupcake games, we don't have to watch the FCS you know, versus Power 5 top 10 team, and it's a 54-point spread. Like We don't have to see those. Every single week, we're going to get compelling matchups. That's what we're going to get this past weekend, which was awesome. Like you know, This past weekend, I think we're going to get a whole bunch more of those instead of those sleepy weekends when you and I, we'd be there looking at the weekend and being like, man, well, what's the game that we're most excited about and the primetime game on ABC is, you know, some 28-point – it's not that much different. With well, Powell, sometimes it would happen uh, with Clemson. Clemson. With Clemson's yeah. rolling, and you would be like, okay, we have a bad ACC matchup on ABC right. for the ABC But game. usually, even on those days, there were other – or some of those days, you would get kind of a whole slate of games, and you're like, ugh, this might not be that great of a weekend. This, like – Every single weekend, we're going to get – maybe you don't, the brands will be there. You'll get conference versus conference matchups where I just think from noon until 11 or midnight, you'll get really compelling, entertaining games. And in the mix, you're going to get some wild finishes like Oklahoma, Kansas State this weekend and Texas, Texas Tech. All right, before we finish up with a little game, I want to play with Danny Cannell called Did You Tweet This? Uh, I want to remind everybody that the Rosillo Podcast, the Bringer Podcast Network, Spotify, please subscribe, rate, and review as much as possible. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. The NBA Finals are here, and FanDuel Sportsbook is ready to support your betting needs during the NBA Finals. FanDuel Sportsbook has over 400 NBA betting markets, not counting tens of thousands of same-game parlay combinations with markets as granular as first-quarter playoff points and player-to-make-miss first field goal. FanDuel Sportsbook also has topical pre-game super boosts and in-game boosts so you can continue getting the best odds and promotions throughout. Don't forget their same-game parlays. FanDuel Sportsbook is the only place with same-game parlay for the finals where you combine multiple bets from one matchup or team in a single parlay. There's a lot of reasons to try FanDuel Sportsbook, but here's one more. Right now, new users can place their first bet on FanDuel Sportsbook risk-free and get up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win. Seriously, there's no strings attached. Just place any bet you want if you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you'll get your entire bet up to $1,000 back in site credit. I would say, let's see, risk-free, whatever the Anthony Davis over-under rebounds are, why not give that a shot? All right, let's see. I think it was nine and a half for this game. Oh my God, he was under. <laughs> well, then it's definitely going to win now because I just screwed it up. He ended up with nine rebounds. Okay, 
So maybe you don't want to listen to me, but go ahead and do it. Risk-free betting, risk-free betting, risk-free betting. You know some of you are bored. Why not put the FanDuel Sportsbook app? You know what? Maybe we'll do something with FanDuel. Just screen grab, show me that you got the app, and we'll do some more interactive stuff here. Or, I don't know, maybe we make sure we can do something like that. If sports betting is legal in your state, download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. There you go. To place your NBA Finals bets. If not, go to the Finals Single Game Contest with FanDuel Fantasy. And if you're new, be sure to sign up with the promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N, so that you know I sent you this promo code Ryan. I can't emphasize this enough. If you like me, if you like the podcast, if you want this to continue to be successful, which it is, um, go ahead and do that because it helps what we're doing here quite a bit. I'm not going to be uh, anything other than completely transparent about it. So if you like us, help us. Must be 21 or older and present in New Jersey, PA, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, or Iowa. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in West Virginia. Visit www.1800gambler.net. In Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In Colorado, call 1-800-522-4700. Or in Iowa, Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Okay, let's do Oklahoma State. Let's do the Big 12 because the Big 12, three Sun Belt losses, and you go, yeah. how does Kansas State lose and then beat Oklahoma at Oklahoma? For whatever reason, Kansas State's figured it out against Oklahoma. I mean, sometimes that stuff just sort of happens, but they've beaten them more often than anybody else. You have Texas and Texas Tech, where it looks like Texas Tech, after struggling with Houston Baptist, yes. and then is up 15 on Texas. And by the way, I'd put Herman in like the top three of the lowest approval rating from other college football people as far as like people just root against him. I like him. I know it's not what people wanted. Maybe the Georgia Sugar Bowl win is is a little misleading going back to over a year and a half ago. I mean, hell, now it's almost two years ago, actually. You think about it. Um, but uh when I, you know, when Texas is struggling, social media opens up being like, oh, here we go again. Herman gets rid of the coordinators, all these different things. So I'm trying not to do the well, the Big 12 sucks and all that, because I do think there have been years where the Big 12 is undervalued for the depth at the top. Like you look at five or six teams, you go, man, I kind of like the way all those teams play. But, you know, a couple of those teams are going to end up maybe with three or four losses, but I don't think they're an easy out. But Oklahoma, I think the thing that jumped out, it wasn't. Oh, this is, by the way, Danny, this is the earliest I've ever going to give up on like the Oklahoma, because I feel like every year I make it to about week six or seven where I go, you know, who's rolling right now are the Sooners. Like they're loaded. <laughs> look at their offensive line. Look at the, look at all their playmakers. Look at this offense. Lincoln Riley gets everybody open. This is incredible. And Spencer Rattler, who was a big time recruit and was a Heisman favorite just because of the Oklahoma lineage and because of the numbers, you know, you're going to put up, he put up numbers, but he also had a lot of picks and I felt like showed. And again, it's so early for him. So I try not to be too difficult here, but I saw some things from him that scared me a little bit that he couldn't get the ball down the field in some big spots and then looked like he really didn't like getting pressured where he felt like a seven on seven guy who was just like, normally I just have all the time in the world back here. So give me Oklahoma, what you see Rattler and then kind of take it into any big 12 thing. Cause I don't want to sit here and write off an entire conference after a couple weeks of play. Cause it's just not fair. Right, and it was a very um, popular narrative that was going around there was, oh, what a disastrous start for the Big 12. Well, it's not when, good. It, no, no, when Iowa State gets beat by Louisiana, and this was that like that year for Iowa State where they were going to potentially be that dark horse of Matt Campbell and Brock Purdy supposed to be this awesome quarterback, and then they lose uh, you know, to Louisiana, who, by the way, is a pretty good team. They were 11-1 team last year. Um, but Oklahoma specifically, so I feel like – I'm with you. Like, I think you need to slow the roll on Oklahoma's done. Like, it kind of feels like the 2014 year when Ohio State lost to Virginia Tech Virginia early. Tech, and everybody yeah. kind of wrote them off. I don't know if that's going to happen because 
man, I look at this team. And I do look at the defenses specifically, and I've fought against that. I've fought against that saying, you know what? It's really tough to stop those passing offenses, right? And you're seeing that creep into the SEC. When you see a Bama-Auburn game, the Iron Bowl, that's in the 40s, high 40s. And it's like, okay, this is innovative football. These are offenses. It's tough to stop those. But then when you watch it specifically and you just see some of the arm tackling and soft play and you see the defensive line play and it's not as good. And then even when you go back to watch them play in the playoffs with the teams like LSU and with the teams that they play against that do have stellar defensive line play and you're like, oh, okay. What I think would be frustrating, and it's hard to be frustrated with Lincoln Riley. It's hard to be frustrated with Oklahoma. They have dominated the Big 12 for almost 20 years. Like they have owned that conference, but I yeah, think even when they're supposed to be bad, it's like, Oh, Oklahoma yeah. won the big 12 again. Yeah. I mean, bad for Oklahoma's you know, right. not yet. Yeah, 10 awesome. games, like 10 wins. That's a bad yeah. year for them. They yeah, got to yeah, win right. 12. It's a, it's a remarkable string of success. I think what would be frustrating if I'm an Oklahoma fan. And even if I'm Lincoln Riley is we know what our weakness is, right? We need to get better along the defensive line. We need to get more physical. We need to play better defense and to continually have this problem. Like, is it that hard to recruit out um, of the South? Is it that hard to pull guys out um, of Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida? That kind of like the like the guys that dominate the dominant defensive defender, and they've had a couple here and there, but it just it's not it's not happening. And I guarantee you, Lincoln Riley knows it's happening. I mean, he fired his def- uh, defensive coordinator a couple of years, brings in Alex Grinch to try to change things up, but I do think it's a personnel issue. And I looked this up the other day. I was just kind of like, oh, let me look at Sooners in the NFL. And it's mostly, I would say, 80% is offensive linemen, you know, quarterbacks, wide receivers, there's a couple DBs, and there's a couple linebackers. And the other, like last year we had, um, what's his name, linebacker uh, for the- Murray. Um, yeah, so Kenneth Murray. You've got a couple in there. There's been, historically, there's been a couple- but it is pretty much, I would say, close to 80% offensive players have come out of Oklahoma that are currently playing in the NFL. I'm like, oh, okay, that, that kind of makes sense. But I think it's a personnel issue. I think that should be their number one priority is we've got to match talent with not teams in the, in the Big 12, but in the SEC and, the, and Clemson specifically um, because that's their weakness. And they can still probably roll through the Big 12 the way they're doing it, but that's not the goal. Like, and it's kind of, you're getting frustrated from just winning big 12 championship, which is a great problem to have. But I still look at them and I say, man, they just, they're, they don't, they're not a physical team and that can get it done in the big 12. It just can't get it done when they get to the playoffs. And that's been okay. proven. Okay. There's a bunch of things here that, that I, I can't wait to, to talk about on this because you know, look, it's well established. You think a lot of the stuff is bullshit in the way that the Big 12 and the SEC has talked about over the years. And when Lincoln Riley kind of chests out a little bit saying, hey, you can't play against these offenses. But I don't blame Lincoln Riley for doing that because you know what Lincoln Riley can't do as the number one guy in the Big 12? Go, you know what? A lot of that, a lot of those, a lot of that's right. You can't really cover. <laughs> you know, he's never right. going to say that. And I know that you, like you just kind of I actually find this a little frustrating because over the years, a lot of our arguments about conference superiority, um, you know, I would point to the draft classes and you'd be like, whatever, whatever. But the Big 12 really doesn't have a lot. They're not putting a ton of NFL players on that side of the ball in there. They're just not. So like when you sit there and go, when it's all these playmakers from the ACC and the SEC going in and really more of the SEC, like I think it is an issue. And when I watch Texas, Texas Tech, 
I, I'm looking at Thompson number four for Tech, that running back, that sophomore Thompson, who I'm like, this guy, every time he has the ball, and I know the numbers weren't like incredible, but I was like, I just seen something. But he's also running it to the edge, and there's three guys in position to make a play on him. And right. you're going, what? And I'm not saying the SEC doesn't miss tackles. I'm not saying the SEC doesn't have total shootouts. I mean, look what just happened with LSU. But I think over the long haul, when you start looking at defenses by yards per play and yards per possession and some of this stuff, like the Big 12 just scores lower across the board. So it's not a, hey, that conference sucks. But I just don't really understand. Like, basically, it's very typical of anything. If the national media is ripping your team or your part of the country and all these different things like you just want to push back, even if it might deep down be true. So this is not writing off the Big 12, but I do think that some of those problems and I saw them again in the beginning of this week were like, wait, a lot of this stuff is the same, but it doesn't mean every time the SEC has a big scoring game that means any criticism of the Big 12 is unfair. But another point that you made, which is very important, is that. Writing these teams off when things were normal was stupid. Okay. Writing off these big brands early was stupid because they're still they're they're dealing from such a position of advantage when you start at the top of the polls that you're gonna have chances if your conference is good enough to get other chances and knock some other people off. Now you have to open your mind up to keeping your to keeping the options open even more so because if everybody's just playing everybody in conference schedules, like we could have a two-loss team and a four-team playoff. So you can't sit here and go, oh, Oklahoma lost to Kansas State. They're done. Huge mistake. If there's ever a year to not do it, it's this year. 100% agree. Just the Big 12 in general, do you think we would still be having this narrative if Oklahoma I hate the word had- narrative, by the way. Okay, it. I'll, I'll stop I using it because it is. Well, no, you can use it, but I just no, a lot no, of times narrative be has it become is. what the thing that's true that everybody says. <laughs> yeah, <I'm sorry. laughs> you know, like the, do you the think- definition. <laughs> Do you think the Big 12 could have changed their reputation if they would have beat Georgia in the Rose Bowl? Because that was their closest chance when Oklahoma was there and Baker Mayfield, and they had Georgia on the ropes, and they took it. They went to overtime, and they were right there to getting their first playoff. Oh, you're talking win. the playoff. And, oh, big yeah. time. You, uh, you know, which, which is crazy because maybe we're not even sitting here having this discussion well, we if would. they had changed that. But I think that shows. So here's where I'm kind of – I'm going to contradict myself a little bit. Yes, they play different, and they don't play as physical defensively. It just leaves that little margin. Like, there's so much less margin for error on the offensive side of the ball, and that's what revealed itself on Saturday with Spencer Rattler. Like, they played okay offensively, but he had three picks. Like, you can't do that right. in that situation. Three picks um, and late. Yeah. Late, he looked yeah. like a different guy. And, and that's right. to be, you know, if you want to go, hey, he's young and all these. I'm not going to sit here and beat up on a guy that's just playing football now for the first time after, you know, hearing about him for a couple of years. But it was, it was real. Did you watch QB1 with him on Netflix? I did not. Do yourself a favor. Just watch a couple episodes. So you didn't like him? No. There are two guys that I did not like. Like, I love Jake Fromm on QB1. So I was like rooting for him. I'm like, like, this kid's going to be a leader. You know, I'm like, this kid's going to be a... And then he left early. Um, But you could see like leadership. You could see somebody who's like, kind of like, I'm going to have to go earn it. Tate Martell... And Spencer Rattler were the two most unlikable characters in the history of that show. And there's a couple, there's a bunch of like random quarterbacks that really didn't make it in college. And they're just kind of there. <laughs> they're like, you know, they're like, they're okay. Like it's kind of like I fast forward through those because I don't know if you watched any of them. They're really entertaining. Like they're fascinating. But Spencer Rattler came across as kind of a punk. Like, and I thought he needed to be humbled. And I think he got humbled. Like, and, and you can see it just kind of the way he carries himself. Um, and maybe that's a good thing. Like maybe a loss for him is a, 
okay, I haven't done anything yet. And I can only imagine I would have been a punk. Like you're in high school and you have no a camera way. crew. You, you have no a way. camera crew following you around 24-7. Like that would be incredible. And it probably is really tough to look good in that situation. But I do think you can start to believe it and you can start to kind of, you can get an uh, arrogance about you that you haven't done anything yet. And I think, I don't know, I have no idea what's going on in the locker room, but I guarantee you a lot of players that he played against, look at him and be like, this kid hasn't completed a pass yet in college. And he's, and that's the way he's going to carry himself. But I also think that that could possibly humble him, get him to go back to work, to focus more, to not worry about some of that ancillary stuff and become a better quarterback. So that's where I think he can improve. And that was one of the biggest reasons I didn't pick Oklahoma to win the Big 12 this year was because there is such a massive advantage to having playing experience. And when it's going back to Baker Mayfield, who played a lot at Texas Tech, you go to um, Jalen Hurts, who played a lot at Alabama, and you plug those guys in, that's a massive advantage. You've played a lot. You've seen a lot of those defenses. You've been out there in the fourth quarter. You know the speed difference. You know all those things. So I thought that was going to be a massive learning curve for Spencer Rattler, and I think you saw that on display. Not to say he can't rebound from that, but I still think he's got a long way to go to kind of settle in and prove that he can do it in the fourth quarter, like you mentioned, because that's the difference. That margin of error, look what happened with Sam Ellinger at Texas, who's been around forever and actually could play again next year, which is kind of crazy because of the COVID rules. Like, how nuts would that be if he went back to Texas with an extra year of eligibility? But I thought you saw that on display. Like, they were down 15 with three minutes, and he's like, we got this. Like, he's been there I can't imagine, by the, way, by the way, I can't imagine what Texas would be like without him. No, without I know. Ellinger. Because right. he's, he's literally everything to the entire team. Um, you make a good point on the experience, but then at the same time, what we've seen in recent history is, is counter to that, though. Like Jalen Hurts mm -hmm. plugs right in, playing in a national championship game, goes in for the go-ahead touchdown, you know, and then... Look at his Watson defense he had. Yeah, right, right. You know. But, I mean, um, who else? Trevor Lawrence, granted, again, right. defense. James Winston seen, won as a freshman. You know, I mean, we're seeing been a freshmen do things in the last half decade or so, things that we never really thought in old-school coaches. I'll never forget... Um, hanging out with uh, Kajana Carter at the Heisman House deal. And I was researching, because I do these like 15-minute interviews, right? So I do a 15-minute one with LeVar. I do a 15-minute one with Kajana. I'm sitting in my hotel room. You know, my buddies are like, man, you're at Penn State. Are you killing it? I'm like, no, I'm actually researching Kajana Carter's recruiting <laughs> stories right now. So don't, don't get too excited. Get an early start in the morning. And I go, hey, you almost transferred? And he's like, yeah, Paterno said freshman like can't play. And it's Kajana Carter who ends up being the number one pick ever. And you're like, you know what? For all of the pressure we put on young players now, we were stupid. And I don't mean like you and I specifically, but the college football world was incredibly stupid with the way they handled special talent. And I'd rather see what they're doing now. All right. I still have, God, where time is flying by here because I have all these good. other things I want to ask you about. Let, we got to hit on the Canes, your Canes. Um, they smoked Florida State. So I want a little on Florida State, but we'll start good first. Because Miami's got Clemson in a couple weeks and Derek now at QB. And, and look, there. how many times has Miami pulled the rug out from us? Where times it's like, here we go, here we go. I mean, no one has been back more than Miami, including Texas. So what's real and what do you expect out of them the rest of the way? By the way, I'm more of a Gator guy than a Kane guy this year specifically too, uh, which is sucks for me. What? Just like as a Seminole Trask? Guy. Yeah, wow, I, just, I do think Florida's a better team. I think Florida. Did you will be like Florida it. over Georgia in the East? I did. Fine. Yeah, I did. Um, so I think this team looks legit, but it's hard because you're looking at them and you're like, all right, UAB, Louisville, Florida State, and Louisville, by the way, is not as good as maybe we thought they could be in Scott Satterfield year two. They've looked okay, but that defense has been shredded by a lot of teams. 
um, Florida State lost to Georgia Tech. Like, and that's the other thing you talk about annoying. The transitive property wins this season are going to be off the charts off annoying because we're right. going to have to. Um, but it is true. Like Georgia Tech is not very good, and they beat Florida State. So Florida State's a dumpster fire right now. But they, but it wasn't like they just beat them a little bit. They housed Florida State. So for that reason, I'm like, okay, that was different. Um, I mean, and they get the bye week, and then they have Clemson. I'll be really curious to see what that line is. It's probably going to be two touchdowns, you know, and it'll be begging you to take the Hurricanes. And you know what? Clemson probably still is another stratosphere. But I do think what Rhett Lashley has brought there and with De'Ara King getting more and more comfortable, because if you watched UAB and if you watched Louisville, UAB specifically, he missed a couple wide-open touchdown throws. And I was thinking, okay, this, is gonna, this isn't the De'Ara King that we saw two years ago. You know, he's an incredible athlete, but he's not going to – if he misses these throws, they're going to struggle. Then he hits a couple more of them against Louisville, and he starts getting even more comfortable. And he does have electric um, ability to make plays. So, and now he's got some talent around him. Then you've got a defense, by the way, without Gregory Russo, who's going to be a top five pick in the NFL draft. Like, that's the thing I think that if I'm a, if I'm a Hurricane yeah. player or coach, I'm like, gosh, can we get him back? Like, can we get him to opt back in as the trend we've seen around college football? I don't think it's happening, but could you imagine how good they would be if they had him? But they got Quincy Roche, who all of a sudden is showing up, and they got, they, they've been recruiting, like, and they're playing with a tremendous amount of confidence, and that can be a very real thing, a belief. And the turnover chain, as annoying as it is, like those players feed off of it. But I still don't know if they're in the same class as Clemson. They might be in the same class as Notre Dame. Like they might be the second best team in the ACC. But I still just feel like Clemson's got that, you know, they, they have five-star dudes lined up all over the place. And I, I don't know if Miami's there yet. But I'll trade places with them in a heartbeat. Yeah, I, I know leading up to it, and I was reading The Athletic where they were talking about this reminds them of that Lamar-Clemson game four years ago. It's probably one of my favorite college football games the last 10 years um, because Lamar was just that much fun, and you're taking on Clemson with just dudes all over the place, and it, and it comes down to that. It was that final drive, I believe. And I don't know. I don't know that this necessarily feels the same way, but I also feel like I'm a little... I'm just per behind personally in a way that I've never been before because I kind of was like, well, what am I supposed to keep track of? Like, how is this all going to work? And then even the first week, I was like, wait a minute, am I, am I building my weekend around 12 hours of Saturday football? And then you look at the schedule and you're like, I'm not really sure. And like, I know I'll check in with Clemson some other point. And it's not like I'm going to be sitting at home picking out with Clemson and be like, oh, I don't like the way their corners line up at the line of scrimmage. So now I'm off of them. Um, do you want to take 60 seconds to address Florida State? Sure. I don't think you need that much time, though. I mean, it's it's just... Take less. Here's... Here's the hope. Here's the hope. Because I said this a couple times. Because I got about. I got. I. I said this feels like the darkest moment in Florida State history. You know, since Bobby Bowden took over. And Manny Diaz actually said the same exact thing at the end of last season with Miami, who had a two grand. They were one and two versus Conference USA. That was only last year that they lost. Uh, you know, to Louisiana Tech and FIU. And FIU is even more insulting because it's right in their backyard. And yet they've turned that corner really fast. So that's like okay, it's really bad with Florida State right now. I don't think it's going to change anytime soon, but maybe we can turn it in a year. I think Mark Norvell has some really tough decisions to make. I can't stand benching quarterbacks. I know James Blackman personally. He is an outstanding young man. He works his tail off. He's an emotional leader. He's a great dude. But man, is he struggling to play the quarterback position right now. And their offensive line is not playing great. I was actually talking about this on the radio show. 
And Charlie Ward texted me. He's like, you know, I watched a lot of this. He's like, the quarterback has to know where to go with the football quickly if the offensive line has breakdowns and Blackman just isn't there. And yet it's totally understandable because he's played in like four different offensive schemes. Like it's hard to get comfortable in a system, but I think he's got a confidence issue right now and it's understandable. Um, Chubba Purdy, Brock Purdy's younger brother, showed up on the depth chart. He had hurt his collarbone early in camp. Now he's back. I think Mike Dorvell is going to have to play some younger dudes. I do. Tamari and Terry, I think, is second team now. Like, that's one of those, oh, okay, you're going to start rattling some cages. I think he's got to start building for the future. I think this year is a write-off for Florida State, and it's, you know, it's going to be a rebuild process, and I would be collecting quarterbacks if I could. Like, I would be bring, recruiting every transfer quarterback, getting his, recruiting every four- and five-star quarterback you can until you hit on one because if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a chance, and they haven't had one for a couple years now. Who did you pick for your playoff? Or, I mean, I imagine you've had to change it a few times. So do you have, like, an updated thing you're keeping track of on the radio show? So we didn't really do – because it's so weird. But if I had to do it like no, right now – No, I'm with you. I, I, I mean, I got, usually – normally you and I would have done it. We would have argued about yeah. it like crazy. We would have been updating it every single week. Or maybe we'd, we would have done a preseason thing then probably start picking it up again week four. I'll yep. be honest. Like, as I ask you – I go, what am I going to do? Just say Clemson, Bama, Ohio State, and then whatever. I mean, it feels right. stupid to do it right now. And I think at this point. Right. Um, I, I think, but I think what's interesting is I do think, I think Bama plays Florida. And I think Florida could present some problems, but their defense has to go a long way. Can I, I jump in on that, by the yeah, way? Because yeah. watching that Georgia? Ole Miss game, I watched that Ole Miss game. Like, I would be way more worried about Georgia and Arkansas even though Georgia put them on them in the second half, than I am about Florida's defense and Ole Miss. I, I totally. don't even know why that's a debate. I mean, right. Georgia is trying to figure out the quarterback situation. And Arkansas, by the way, I think was the worst in SEC play as far as points allowed of any of the SEC teams. And you can't get it done against them in the week one. You know, look, new staff, whatever you want to talk about it. But um, Florida, like the Ole Miss game, and it's not the exact same thing. Like, because you and I fought about this last year, and you wouldn't listen to me, but I tried to help. <laughs> is everybody that complained about the LSU defense? And I go, don't get bogged down in some of these performances because so much of it is second half stuff. And the Ole Miss game was a perfect example of that. They got run over by a really weird hybrid offense that Ole Miss was running. And that wasn't even the Kiffin offense. And I'm like, but if you watch that game, it was like a lot of chunk yardage after the game was kind of decided. And it speaks to LSU's immaturity, but they are not some sieve on defense. They just are not. And I would yell and scream and nobody wanted to believe me. And look, it's one of the things get plenty wrong. I ended up getting that right. Watching Ole Miss and all the stuff Kiffin was doing, I felt like six teams were throwing to their quarterbacks. Like, I don't know, like, hey, you get extra time off and now you're putting in all these plays where you can throw to the quarterbacks all the time. Matt Corral's <laughs> a good QB. He's going to put up big numbers and then Plumlee and all these different things that they were trying to do. So Florida had moments where they were clearly the better team there. So I'd have to see more from Florida's defense, but some of the stats are going to be skewed because of some of these ridiculous performances. So I like, I guess I gave you the answer before I asked you, but who cares? It's just that I see a difference of, Ooh, what about Georgia? What about Florida? What about Georgia? I feel way better after just a week being a Gator fan than I would be in a Bulldog fan. Without question, I think there are a lot of similarities or possibly could be, and this should excite Florida Gators fans. You'd be proud of me too, because I referenced this throughout the week. Like LSU's I'm always defense, proud of you, Danny. <laughs> yeah, there you go. LSU's defense, there also is room for improvement too. Like LSU, Florida and LSU the previous year, they lose guys to the NFL. So they're getting guys that are newer, that have to get better. And LSU consistently got better throughout the year. And you're right. You are 100% right. A lot of those yardage did come in late games. And the Ole Miss game is something I referenced earlier this week on the radio show, saying the exact same thing happened to LSU last year. 
and here's the here's the Canel hot take of the of the week award. Oh, I like this. We should I think Kyle here. Trask now. How far do you want to go with this? Like to stand out? Like Kyle Trask is this year's Joe Burrow? Like he's going to be the number one overall pick? I'm not willing to go that far, but I'm telling you from what I've seen in just one game from Kyle Trask, the confidence level with where he's placing the football. Watch and did, I don't know if you saw Jordan Rogers at SEC Network did a little video where he played. You know they had the ten, the same play they ran ten different times. You're not blocked play. from that channel. What's that? You're not blocked from that channel. Oh, I have am. Some yeah, yeah. I can still get it at my house. Like I can still watch it on. The, I can't go on there, but I can watch it at the house and actually put it on. Do YouTube you have a better so chance of starting an NFL game or being on SEC Network as an analyst? Well, it is COVID this year, so without question, like I could be that emergency COVID quarterback. So it's definitely more of a chance of that happening. But back to the point, like <laughs> they ran this one play. And, and every single time he went through his progressions and it was like five deep and it was a, you know, a middle safety. Um, uh, if the field is open, if the field is closed, he's going to read it a certain way. And just, you could see the confidence. He knew exactly where he wanted to go, the football, where he was going to go with it. And then by the way, when he delivered it, it was with accuracy. He's, and not, I don't think he's athletic as Joe Burrow is, but he's got some mobility where he can make, he can get around. He's a massive kid. He's like 6'5, 240 he's huge, pounds. Yeah. He's got a strong arm. I think he is going to all of a sudden, and you, of course, not one game is not going to make him. He's got to do it for a few more, but I think he's going to be a guy that continually rises up the depth, you know, uh, draft boards throughout this season. And I think he could be that difference maker potentially that Florida has lacked since Tebow has been there. And it's a, it's a great story too. I mean, the kid backed up Tara King in high school, didn't even play in high school, goes to Florida, waits forever, gets his opportunity, and here he is. And I, I still, I don't think Dan Mullen gets enough credit still for being a quarterback guru. Like you look at the quarterbacks he's been through and not the most athletic, not the five-star guys where it's the best quarterback in high school, we're talking about guys that are pretty good, that have some talent, and he maximizes it. I mean, that's the best compliment you can play to an offensive mind, and Dan Mullen's doing that with Kyle Trask. Okay, we have a new game that we play on the show here. It's called Did You Tweet This? All right, so <laughs> did you tweet this with Danny Cannell? Um, and his handle is at Danny Cannell. That's one and two L's. Okay, um, you have to tell me whether or not you tweeted this. Okay, LSU I've been better, by the way. I noticed LSU will win the SEC, but their defense is a liability against the big boys. I probably did. It sounds like something I would have said last year. You did. It got 823 likes, though. So, <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> I tried. I think I left Alabama. I was like waiting for an Uber in the middle of Tuscaloosa, and I, I saw your tweet, and I just couldn't take it anymore. Tua was out, but it's all good. Um, or he was back. He was back, but he was again In the injured. LSU game? He was injured. Dude. It's all good. No, I'm, scored, I loved I loved LSU last year. No, there you was, didn't. No, them. you didn't. I did There's too. too much evidence. <laughs> all right, keep coming with the evidence. What okay. else you got? Um, okay. Uh, did you tweet this? The funniest part of all these Ohio State and LSU fans arguing desperately over who should be number one, and then there was a picture of Trevor Lawrence that says none of them want that ACC smoke. Oh, I definitely do. That is a Canal tweet all the way. <laughs> Okay, that was did you clever? I sound like did, a young kid on that one. <laughs> did you tweet this last year? Joe Burrow would have been my backup in Tallahassee. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think I don't recall that one. I don't. I don't think I hit send on that one. I took Herm's advice. <laughs> That's in the drafts. <laughs> yeah, it was okay. almost. It was close. How'd you get access to those? Okay, here we go. One more. <laughs> did you tweet this? 
Wow, what a performance from LSU. So impressed with every player and coach on this team. Absolutely in the conversation for greatest team of all time. Too bad they didn't get a chance to play Ohio State. Congrats. Yes. But I don't think I put the did I put too bad they didn't get a chance to play Ohio no, State. I, I added that. <laughs> you added that, right? I was gonna say, I think I had everything but that one. Oh, I love it. That's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. I do I do think they're in there for the greatest team of all time. It was incredible. Oh, what they did at the end, I yeah, I mean, all time. I don't know that I, I would need more time. I need more time. I'm still too emotional about it. I need more time away from it. <laughs> yeah. um, Thanks you're for hitting me up uh, in New Orleans too, by the way. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> you were out with all your boys. I didn't get into the, I didn't get in the, I didn't well, get the text chain. Jay Cutler was in the mix through Chris Long and Jay doesn't like anyone. And we knew he wasn't going to like you. So I was at a, uh, I was at a blackjack table with him and trust me, he did not, he was not feeling the canal vibe at all. Oh, totally he doesn't feel timing. anyone's vibe. His buddies, yeah. His buddies were sitting there with him, and they kind of recognized. His like, buddies are up? amazing. His, yeah. his buddies are the happiest guys in the world. Yeah, we're like talking a little bit, and then I just get like the look of death. Like I'm, I'm, I, it, like I was the cooler or something. I'm like, what? So I was like, all right, see, ya. I don't want to hang with this. <laughs> I mean, I was kind of, I don't know, separate story. <laughs> we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Danny. Yeah, see ya. Here's an outro, and here's a Madden code for you as well. All right, here we go. Unless Kyle's been using these without telling me. Xbox One M H W W four dot or slash V seven two seven F slash T T V two two slash six J V J seven slash three Q U F seven Z. Enjoy your free Madden. It's in the game, Madden twenty one. All right, we will uh, talk to you Monday. Got Mike Vick on the show. Vick is going to be joining us once a month. Trent Dilfer is going to be joining us once a month. I got Matt Leinert next week as well, talking college football. So we are killing it with the guests. And you know, if we're going to be the number one podcast in the world, I need to step up my game. So there you go. Thanks. Mm-hmm.